0: Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast Well now is the time for the Dopey Podcast podcast. Where you call in and put all your life on blast And you call in and talk about your past Because your life was furious, hardcore and fast So now is the time for the dopey Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast, yo! This is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast Now if your life was furious, hardcore and fast you feel like you're off and put your life on blast Just call up the show and i talk about your past Cause now it's the time for the Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast Yo This is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast
1: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. They are located in sunny Southern California by Malibu and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. They were created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, a noble one, to create a treatment where alcoholism and addiction are dealt with by using compassion and connection rather than control. They have many decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible. They've been written about in many, 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 many rating systems, always getting sick high ratings. And everyone that we know that has been there, and I, I actually mean this, every person that I know that has been to Oro like, wishes it wasn't a treatment and they could stay longer. And and I I part of me wishes I could relapse just to go. But I don't want to relapse and if you are in relapse and you want to go to treatment, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath, meditation, surfing, equine therapy, the spiritually transformative sweat lodge, potentially potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. So much more if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro Enough. You can find them at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app, but it's become way more than just an app. It's a community. It's an app on your phone that's kind of like social media, that is very much supportive. There are thousands of people in recovery and recovery curious in the app there to get help, to give help and to stay connected. They do many Zooms every week. I host a Zoom in Sober Buddy. It's Wednesday morning this week at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Wednesday morning is my Zoom. They have two Zooms a day besides my Zoom. Who would want to go to another Zoom besides mine? I don't know. Check them out at yoursoberbuddy.com. The other Zooms are good too. I'm just kidding. Sober Buddy, it's on the App Store and the Google Play Store. They also have challenges. They also have a nifty sober tracker. They also offer a free trial. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com or go to the App Store or the Google Play Store. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the very good people at Evolution Accounting and Consulting, a full-service accounting firm that can help you with your taxes, your bookkeeping, your payroll, almost any other business need you have. Their mission is to help creative people, to help dreamers, to help entrepreneurs, really to help business owners focus on their business so that they can not worry about their taxes and their payroll and all the accounting stuff. Evolution accounting can take care of all of that. And perhaps more important than any of it is their founder, Eric, is a fucking crackhead like you and me. Thank God he's still in recovery for years now, and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code Dopey when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com. You will receive special discounts if you need an accountant. Go to evolution-accounting.com. Now, before we get to the show, I also want to tell you guys about a podcast that I really love it's called Recovery in the Middle Ages. I'm about to be on it again. It's a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, alt-recovery, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings, if the world only knew. Find recovery in the Middle Ages wherever you find your podcasts or at middleagesrecovery.com. Enough with the ads. Here is the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I am on, I'm in Lower Manhattan and I am with strung out author. And I say that very quickly because it sounds like she's just strung out and she's an author. <laughs> but she has a memoir called Strung Out, which is a really good memoir. So if you're looking for yes. a drug memoir, addiction memoir, substance use disorder memoir, recovery memoir and there's a lot of juicy stuff in there too check out strung out her name is Erin carr welcome back to the show thank you that's a nice proper plug. that was a
2: very nice proper plug and endorsement i i (laughs) I
1: often race through the your plug
2: right well you know most people that listen to dopey have heard me on here before but maybe
1: they don't know how robust and tawdry your book is
2: (laughs) that's true (laughs) how robust and tawdry do you know i mean we've talked about this before but my negative reviews almost are exclusively that they think that there's too much sex in the book, which is funny because there's not that much sex in the book.
1: Well, there's not a lot of like... It's not like There's not a lot of graphic sex. I think the book could use more graphic sex. (laughs) If if I was going to have one (laughs) criticism, I would say the book could use more... More
2: graphic sex.
1: But like is graphic sex... Because I'm now a budding writer myself. Is graphic sex ever appropriate in a book? Sure.
2: When? When it works.
1: So what's a great example of graphic sex working in a book?
2: Well, I mean, even if you look at like D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover, which was written a very long time ago, it is pretty fucking racy. Okay. And I think it works. But at the time, like people, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be like graphic sex doesn't have to be like Fifty Shades of Grey bad. Is there a um, lot of
1: graphic sex in Fifty Shades of Grey? That's the
2: whole thing. It's like a, it's a sex. It's a rom, Romance sex. I mean, I haven't read it. But I remember once, like when that book first became really big, I was listening to some podcast. I, I think it was a podcast. And they were reading part of the book. And it's, it, I mean, the writing is so bad.
1: Fifty Shades of Grey? So bad. Well, wow. Okay. So if you're, if you're. But you
2: know what? You know what I'll say? I shouldn't say that. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's subjective. It's, you know, it's not an objective thing. It's subjective. So it just wasn't for me.
1: Well, good. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice way to cover up your scathing 50 shades of gray <laughs> review and dopey nation. If you have a book that's full of robust sex done well, send in a title to dopey at gmail.com. Maybe it'll be the new book in the dopey book club. Oh, dopey book club, Aaron Carr.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, we'll see. That's we'll why, see. that's kind of on the low uh, on the
2: totem pole. Well, of... it
1: was supposed to, we were supposed to do a Sid Arthur mm-hmm. uh, book thing. We're supposed to do a Stolen Focus Johan Hari book mm-hmm. thing. None of that's happened. You uh, couldn't get focused enough. I read it. <laughs> I read it, but I did. Yeah, I could. I just need to trot it out in in advance. Like yeah. I need to figure. Out, I'm not great at the timing of things. Right. But I have big news. Okay. I don't know if you know this about me, but I've often been a big fan of sleep aids. Do you know this about me? Benadryl. Well, first, when I when I got sober, sleep is very important to Mm -hmm. me. I don't like lying in bed and and thinking about sleeping. I'm wishing I could be asleep like that is like that's the worst. Right. That's just the worst. So when I first got sober, like I couldn't tolerate insomnia. Mm -hmm. So I would take Unisom Mm -hmm. and Unisom. I I find sleep aids to be very effective for me. And Mm -hmm. and let's say I'm up too long and I can't sleep. I'll just take NyQuil Mm -hmm. because NyQuil does not fail.
2: Well, because you want to know why? Because it's the same ingredient that's in. Well, either Unisom or Benadryl. It's just it's like Tylenol PM is Benadryl with Tylenol.
1: I find that well, Nyquil also has alcohol in it too.
2: Yeah, but there's not. I mean,
1: I talked about it at a meeting, and somebody was like, "They got all snickety with because me because there's alcohol." In yeah, it? there's alcohol in it. They're like, "They're like, you know why they sell Nyquil with a shot glass, don't ya?" Um, but uh, <laughs>
2: that's a bit of a stretch. But
1: so like Unisom, then Nyquil, then Chris and I would always talk about Benadryl, mm-hmm. and Benadryl they would give us in treatment but what about,
2: what about robo tripping chris I, was a
1: big robo tripper. i remember
2: a lot of people like doing that when i was in high school like like middle school high school like in the club scene like people would talk about robo. i never did it
1: no i she never did it either me. chris chris was a big robo tripper yeah. and i feel like we've gotten some good robo tripping stories so if you are a robo tripper out there please send a voicemail or but an a, email but
2: a succinct voicemail <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're looking for a voicemail that's like five minutes that hits Less hard. Less
2: than five minutes. Like you can do a really good voicemail in three minutes. Like a really, really good. You don't. We don't need any extra information.
1: Just the juice. Just the juice. Just, and if there's any robust sexual content, definitely put it in. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? So so, Chris was a robo tripper. Right. I I I never did. I I like Nyquil. I liked sleep aids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benadryl got worked into my recovery process uh-huh. uh, years ago, and I and I I wound up taking it every day mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris would take a lot of Benadryl, and then when he settled into his recovery, I think he would take two. Mm-hmm. I took one. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't want to, because I'm a little bit better than everybody else. <laughs> I would take when one. When I've
2: taken it, I take one because if I take two, I'm groggy.
1: Right, I, it's too groggy. Right. But I, I loved the Benadryl dreams. I loved huh. them. They were and right. the, the Nyquil dreams are even better. Unisom dreams. I guess it's the same medicine. but right. I, 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 you know, and Linda didn't like that I was on the Benadryl, mm-hmm. and people, you know, had things to say about the Benadryl. And but then, it doesn't
2: get you high.
1: No, 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 no. Mm. But I was totally reliant on it. Right. I would. I needed it. If I didn't have it, I would be very. Worried. right? And then I switched. And then over the summer, I read that Benadryl causes dementia. There's uh, a big article. Like if you take it too much. And I take it every day right. for years. <laughs> so I was like, uh-oh. So I switched to melatonin, mm-hmm. and I figured I figured melatonin would never work. It and totally it works, to- right? Totally works.
2: I don't really like the way melatonin makes me feel. Isn't that funny? Why? I, I don't know. I, I feel like... I fall asleep, but then I wake up kind of weird and I had weird dreams on melatonin. But I will, like for me, I mean, I'm lifelong insomniac. If I, I have, I have a prescription of Ambien, but I rarely ever take that. That's like if I haven't slept for a couple days and I know I just need to go to sleep. um, I get, I have a prescription for 10 a month and I don't fill it every month. And I all the thing I like about that is that it does not leave me groggy at all. I wake up and I feel totally normal. It doesn't it feels less narcotic to me than Benadryl. I also don't want to take anything regularly and be dependent on it so I can't sleep. But melatonin makes me feel worse. I don't know why.
1: Melatonin worked for me. Mm-hmm. It was a delight. Mm-hmm. The gummy was delicious. Yeah. Took it every night. I give night. it
2: to Franklin sometimes, the kid one. You're a monster. No, no I'm just my I'm the just the told me to. Uh
1: so uh, <laughs> And I took it and I slept really, really mm-hmm. good. And then, and Linda once in a while will say to me, you know, sh- she'll give me shit about being dependent on mm-hmm. sleep aids. So I don't know why, but one night I was like, I'm not going to take uh-huh. it. And I slept. Yeah. And I haven't taken a sleep aid mm-hmm. in like six weeks.
2: Because I think that there's probably. Well, they supposed s- to
1: applaud and stuff.
2: Yay. Yeah. I don't I have the thing. I think there's some element of it that's probably psychosomatic. Right. Right, right, but because you associate the ritual of taking it with sleep.
1: Well, you, but you're you're taking the wind out of my sails. This is a big announcement. (laughs) I I was totally, I was totally okay. Just (laughs) relax. This was this was a big announcement for the Dopey Nation that if you are struggling with sleep aid dependence, that if i could do it then you could do it people can hate I, that too by the way can
2: i make a a plug for something i mean this is not, i'm not getting unison no ambient i really really like the calm app and i'll tell you like i was like at first i was like and eh, no, know like it doesn't really work but i use it for franklin they have because they have kids sleep stories and then i put on sleep stories and they're well-known actors many of them british and so why does a
1: british voice help you sleep better than an american I think so. Okay.
2: Um it'll be like one of the guys from Game of Thrones which I can't remember who but I just know he's from Game Sean of Thrones. Sean Bean? No. And like like t- narrating this like train ride through like Scotland. Like it's so relaxing and I fall asleep. And I you you're not going to necessarily fall asleep right away. There's another one that's like Shakespeare Shakespeare's London or something. And it's just like what you're like walking through London at that time, and but it's just like I don't know. It's like slow. T- I don't know if you ever watch any slow TV, but it has that same kind of like relaxing effect. Last night for Franklin, I put on Peppa Pig's night like train journey, like Peppa and her mom go on a you know journey yeah, to the I love seashore that. overnight, yeah, and yeah. then. Walk through. Oh, that you know, like this is the observation car. Look, Peppa, it's made of glass. Like it's really, it's just so chill. And I really, really recommend it. See, I, I,
1: I recommend Peppa for everybody because yeah. that show is fucking very chill. relaxing and it's colloquial. Yeah, like it's like Mrs. Rabbit works in Paris too. Yeah, <laughs> <Hello>. Madame Gazelle. <laughs> oh, it's, it's fucking Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig is the Peppa greatest. Peppa Pig is great.
2: Also, Ben and Holly's. Ben and Holly's Magic Kingdom is pretty good, and then I will also say that I do love that Bluey. I never saw that one. Oh, it's really good, Disney. Now I got. I've been. I've been looking
1: through a lot of stuff, and I. St- I saw this thing on Facebook kind of recently, mm-hmm. and I put it in my notes, and I, I haven't mentioned it, but I. I feel like I want to mention it. Okay. It was a post on Facebook for I don't know a couple of weeks ago, and it said. I started back at the first episode again, and I noticed something I never have before about Todd's death. It's been four and a half years, so maybe this has been posted already, but the mystery of him being found naked on the floor with no signs of drugs. I was listening to the infamous unemployment story, and that's when Todd went to the unemployment office high, Mm -hmm. and then he got high waiting to see the unemployment <sighs> counselor, and and when he when he would take you know snort heroin, mm-hmm. and it was probably fentanyl also, and he wound up like nodding out during his meeting with the oh unemployment my God. person. Anyway, uh, a personal favorite that hits close to home, and at the end of that story, <laughs> he quickly mentions that he woke up naked on the floor of his apartment after blacking out. I didn't notice this before I read this, by the Mm -hmm. way, I never put two and two together Mm -hmm. that the night he died was identical, but he just didn't wake up, which makes me think about how close to being another funny Todd story. And what a fine line there is between a funny Mm -hmm. dopey story and the tragedy. Probably why normies don't find our stories so funny, Right. which is just like that hit me hard. Yeah. You know, the other thing is like, they never found the drugs, you know, uh, when Todd turned up dead
2: Did he do Did they do an autopsy Yeah it was. And they th- found drugs In his yeah, system
1: Yeah right? Yeah I mean I, I I, My theory is that He sniffed the He probably did A couple bags That's all he ever did mm-hmm. He probably sniffed them In his car Threw them in the garbage Went upstairs Was about to take a shower And, 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 and died And fell out yeah. yeah So I mean I just found that That post to be Really interesting And important I, I don't go back And listen to Uh the Todd episodes, I don't listen to much, you know, of the old shows. However, it right. is it is such a weird experience. And it's an it's awesome experience mm-hmm. to go back and listen to any of it because Todd is alive, Chris is alive. But it's weird because I'm somebody that watches TV shows and movies kind of over and over mm-hmm. and Me over too. again. Mm-hmm. And I always have this thought like, it's so annoying that you can't see the characters do something different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you want to see like what happened later that day. And then I'm like, well, why couldn't they do another version of the wire where they follow different things in that same time right. time frame? And I wish we could get, you know, we could see what else was happening in dopey so we could get more from them. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, you know, it's a bittersweet kind of feeling. Right. Um, and this is interesting. Also this show, Last week, we had the great uh, Sano Sleep Mm -hmm. on the show, who's that graffiti artist who used to keep a safe of drugs in my apartment. He he, he was well received. And this week, we have Michelle Esrick, two very different kinds of artists. And she is a brilliant documentary filmmaker. She made a movie uh, about Daryl Hammond called Cracked Up, and she made uh, this documentary about Wavy Gravy. Which for my money was one of my favorite movies I ever got to see. I've
2: never seen it.
1: Yeah, I never saw it either. I, I watched it on my way to her house oh, to do wow. the interview. <laughs> and and I was like, I didn't think I was even gonna think it was good. Right. And I loved it. I and I I, I, I think I had twenty minutes left when I got off the Long Island mm-hmm. Railroad. I swear to God, I was walking through the city watching it. Right. That's not good. No. I was like walking <laughs> through Central Park and in, in the in the height of autumn <coughs> looking at the wavy right. gravy dock, but the fucking shit is good but before we get to michelle i got this weird message too okay it said drug dealer boyfriend yarn he skimmed a solid three kilograms of pure ketamine off the top Oof. of a 10 kilogram batch he cut and was selling back to his bo- boss boss <laughs> boyfriend <laughs> took me it's weird that the long island accent just happens boss I never said that in my fucking life you're a long islander now I know boyfriend took me to the deal as a distraction thinking it would help him get away with it (laughs) he kept leaving me with his boss (laughs) to go get snacks or drinks (coughs) or whatever to give the boss to make time Oh, time to make a move on me I had no idea about any of this and when the batch was weighed and inevitably came up short I honestly thought we were done for I was green as fuck and honestly thought I was gonna die That turned out to be his plan all along, to you know, sell the story. Somehow, that piece of shit talked his way out of it, and we ended up doing inhuman amounts of pure ketamine for days after that. Oof! You you ever scammed up as bait like that? No. Anyway, I uh, did
2: shoot ketamine once.
1: Me too, but what happened to you?
2: I mean, I was just like, I mean, it was just it was it was just falling into like darkness.
1: I like ketamine.
2: That's all right. I
1: I, I feel a little depressed right now. I think I could could use a little ketamine (laughs) treatment uh, for my seasonal disaffected (laughs) disorder. Maybe an injection, perhaps. Now, before I inject any ketamine or play Michelle Esrick on Dopey, I just want to say that this week's episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. What's the best version of you? I don't know what the best version of me is. I know there's a lot, a lot of worst versions of me. But the best version of me is definitely when I'm empowered, when I'm not overthinking, when I'm not worrying. And I know that one thing that really helps me be at my best is therapy. And BetterHelp is the largest online therapy provider in the world. It is convenient, it is flexible, it is affordable, and it is entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime you want for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. I know this is true. Visit betterhelpcom Podcast today to get 10% off your first month if you're looking to feel better. Therapy is a great option, so it's betterhelp.com help, better slash Podcast, And we have an exciting rest of the show. We got Michelle Ezrick, then we got some Aaron, and I think we have a visit from the great Fentanyl J as well, which I always love to hear about Fentanyl J. He's going to respond to uh, some hate mail and some love mail at the end but before we get anywhere else i want to say we have a new partner they are called custom stickers and they make really really cool stickers we just did like six new stickers with them and i cannot tell you how much i love them are you looking to add some personality to your notebook water bottle car or laptop do you need a unique way to promote your brand or team or band look no further at custom stickers you can create your own custom stickers Using your own logo, artwork, or picture, you don't have a design? Well, they can offer a variety of high-quality stickers to choose from. Whether you're into sports or cute animals or meaningful quotes, they've got you covered. And the best part is the stickers are all waterproof, durable, and easy to apply. It's true. Head to customstickers.com and start sticking. And we have a code. So if you want stickers and you want to save 20%, you do dopey20 in the coupon code. Get stickers put dopey20 and if you tell me that you actually did that and you ordered stickers from custom stickers and you did the dopey code, I'll send you free stickers. Anyway, here's Michelle Ezrick check out custom stickers. <laughs> and I am on the upper west side of manhattan it's a pilgrimage back to the upper mm-hmm. west side with my new friend michelle esrick documentary filmmaker woman in recovery trauma survivor new friend how are you michelle
3: i'm fantastic how are you welcome to my home michelle's home is
1: seriously spiritualed out can you can you break it down for the audience for a second like what kind of There's a lot of Buddha heads, uh, (laughs) Ganesh, crystals. Listen to this. That's some serious spirituality. Singing bowl.
3: Singing bowl. Tibetan singing bowl. Yes, I could actually, well, I'll give it another. Feel
1: that. We met at the Park City Song Summit. Michelle did two pretty amazing documentaries one was called cracked up about daryl hammond's addiction and trauma and the other one was called saint Misbehaven, which i just watched about the great hugh romney aka wavy gravy and how did you get drafted into the park city song summit
3: uh keith guard my manager nice where did you grow up i grew up in saint petersburg florida
1: and when did you get to new york city
3: I got to New York City around 1987.
1: And when's the first time you got high?
3: The first time I got high intentionally or non-intentionally?
1: Let's start with non-intentionally.
3: Probably at a Seder on some uh, Mogan David. Right. Yeah.
1: Was there alcoholism in your family?
3: I mean, my parents weren't alcoholics. They were other icks. Beatniks? They weren't beatniks. Bolsheviks? Uh, you know, codependency, workaholism, right. all that kind of stuff. You get
1: high on Mogan David. Do yes. you realize you love it? When when does it click into you?
3: Actually, when I was 11, I remember my parents would go out. My little girlfriends would come over, and we would, like, sneak into my parents' bar. I, I don't know what, like, how we got the idea, but we would sneak into my parents' bar and uh, get drunk, I remember the first time we did it, we all probably threw up, mm-hmm. and I uh, wanted to do it again. And so when my parents would go out, like, or their parents would go out, but I remember when my parents would go out, I would help my dad pick out a tie for the party, be the sweet little girl. Doting daughter. Wow! I was stealing the second pair of, second set of car keys, so that when they went out with one car, I could get the car keys to the car out of that his was jacket be, pocket,
1: like you're putting his tie on. No, and you're he li- had
3: a, he, he had like a little drawer thing in his, you know, where he got dressed. But I mean, I had the sneakiness like built in, like mm. I, I was a built in little thief. Me too. I could, you know, and so they'd go out, and we were eleven, taking out the station wagon for a joyride, drinking, go go to the Seven Eleven, get someone to buy us. Whatever beer, whatever you know, alcohol stupid you person was willing to buy eleven year olds alcohol. See, my daughter's twelve. And then we would this get story in, scares. The and then shit we out would me. get into the car and drive around. And this was in Florida. And then we would go like, you know, throw up in, in sand traps at golf courses and pass out and somehow get the car back before they got home and hose it off, hose the hood off with the cold water. Like, how did how, how, who taught me this? I have no idea. To yeah. make sure
1: that if he touched it, it wouldn't yeah. be warm. Yeah, yes. But it would be wet. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, we dried it off.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah. Serious and manipulation. And just like,
3: hi, how was your party? Or I'd be sleeping. Yeah.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. I
3: loved it. Just loved it. Everything Couldn't about it. Couldn't wait to do it again.
1: Right. Yeah. And what about drugs?
3: Yeah. I mean, some pot came in there. Yeah, pot, then quaaludes, then... You know, mixing the quaalude, the it, it, it like my favorite combo was basically whiskey, Heinekens, and quaaludes.
1: And and were you in Florida during your quaalude period? And always
3: smoking pot. Does everybody oh, yeah. just have quaaludes back then? <laughs> yeah, and 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 some acid in there too. Yeah, it was pretty pretty serious addiction.
1: When did it become a serious addiction?
3: Like kind of right away. Like how old? Like I just. I mean, I would say from that
1: from eleven,
3: feeling, the feeling that that gave me of kind of connection and fun, which I didn't feel in my family, you know, I felt like uh, invisible, even though there was fun in my family, but there was a lot of trauma and drama going on. So this was like the great escape and I couldn't wait to do it again. And so that, that desire that the compulsion, just like I felt it all the time. I gotta get high, I gotta do that again.
1: What was the trauma?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say my, well, my mom had a lot of trauma, so I probably felt it in the womb, honestly generational trauma that gets passed on collective trauma in my family that I probably felt in my body, this sort of discomfort or we call it in program dis ease. And so, and then I was the youngest of five. My mom was very overwhelmed. She had a mother who was, you know, had a lot of mental illness. And at that time they didn't really know how to help my grandmother. And so my mother was always, you know, trying to help her and, and so, you know, she kind of grew up like having to be the mother of her two sisters. And so she grew up in an overwhelmed state. So there was this, when I picture myself and my family, I'm like in the middle and everybody's facing out. You know, when I asked Bessel van der Kolk, who was in my film Cracked Up, about the impact of childhood trauma years later, He And I said, what is the definition of trauma? I thought I knew nothing about it at the time. And so I thought he was going to tell me when you've been sexually abused this many times, when you've been physically abused this many times. I had no idea he was going to say this. When your reality is not seen or known, that is the trauma. Wow. When your reality is not seen or known, that is the trauma. And like Gabor Mate says, you know, it's not the it's not what happened to you; it's the wound inside of you. A lot of people that I know once, oh, I didn't have any trauma because they think of the sort of stereotypical uh, scenario, stuff. right? But if if there was neglect, and neglect can be not being seen, you could grow up with the, all the stuff and a nice house and food and clothes and everything, but if nobody is stopping to see you and know you. And I and I asked Bessel, I said, you you use the word seen and known. I found it interesting that you that you don't say seen and heard. And he said to be known is so important. Because we're wired to be for we are wired for love. We are wired for connection. I mean, like literally. So let's talk about that. So to be if known. we're not seen or known, we we'll, the the circuits get rewired.
1: So if we're not known, what does it really mean to be known?
3: What does it mean to you?
1: Well, I mean, it's funny because I've come up with this new sort of joke that I'm doing a lot on the show. I have my dad on the show a lot. My dad, 78. It's very sweet, man. But I say, how good a father could you have been if I was an IV heroin addict for 15 years? I say it all <laughs> the time. And, and he was a good father yeah. and it's not a nice thing to say. <laughs> and And my trauma, like I don't have a firm grip on exactly what it was, you know what I mean, and how it played itself out. My mother did a bunch of stuff. It wasn't like acute, you know what I mean? I was not sexually abused. I was not physically abused. Was I known? I don't know. I don't know if I was known or not. and it's it's an interesting feeling, like to have to hear you say it, right? To, because how many times was I in treatment where people tried to figure out why I was a heroin addict and I didn't have a story of of physical abuse or sexual abuse and, and my neglect couldn't be seen as acute neglect? You know what I mean? Like me and my wife raise our kids like very – we're very like – In their lives, and and I had a TV in my room when I was like Mm ten, and I sat on my floor and watched it for you know seventy percent of my life from ten to twenty. I feel incredibly connected to Mm -hmm. the television set right to this day. Yeah, you know, like I I feel very warm and connect. Like I I had this bad feeling recently, and I started watching reruns of a show I love, and I was like, I I haven't done this in so long, and I feel so good. Yeah, it's giving me that. It's in your
3: DNA, right? It's
1: fucked up. You know, and um, so to be known, you want to be known, and, and 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 you know what well, I just
3: think about it for a minute. Think about like who knows you, right? Like I I can tell you like who really knows me. You know who sees me, who knows me, and that's why I like the the vessel used the word known. You know when your reality is not seen or known. That's very powerful. I mean, yes, it's important to be heard, but I think you have to be heard and seen to be known.
1: Right, and then, but the flip side is, like when people talk about self-seeking addicts, self-centered addicts, like the flip side in my mind is like, I needed to be known. And it well, w- that,
3: oh, that that's just a symptom of trauma. Um, that that's not the core of me. That's not the core of you my core nature is not selfishness that selfishness is a symptom of fear and you said
1: something about that at park city i think it's yeah, i'm having a flashback I feel, very,
3: I feel very strongly and so do a lot of people and daryl and i actually you know went to speak to congress and we helped add nine provisions to legislation to a a bill for trauma-informed care to be in treatment centers around the country because we believe trauma is the root cause of addiction. And it says in the big book, alcohol is but a symptom. Okay. And it says we have to get down to causes and conditions. So to me, they are talking about the root cause and whether you use the term trauma or you don't have to use the term trauma. I feel like
1: the program uses it like God-sized hole, like this thing that can't be filled. It's the same thing, really. And Gabor talks about that, too.
3: Yeah, but research shows now that it's not a saying, it's not a theory, that there's science behind it now because there's been so many studies, like the ACE studies, the ACE questionnaire. What is that? The ACE questionnaire is the—it's uh, called the Adverse Childhood Experience study, and it was done on 17,000 people in actually a you know middle-class neighborhood in San Diego by Kaiser Dr. Vincent Filetti from Kaiser Permanente, and he—it started with the food program where people were overeating, and so he developed this food program, and he saw that people were losing weight because they're sticking to the diet, right? And then he noticed these three women like who had lost 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds started gaining weight faster than he knew possible. And he called them in and said, "Hey, one by one, you know, w- what's going on?" And so one of the women said like, "You know, she was a teller at a bank. She said my manager is hitting on me now that I've lost this weight and I, you know, he's like, "Hey, you know, you look really good. Do you want and he was kind of sexually hitting on me and and I've been eating again, and I'm sleep eating, like she was eating in her sleep. And everybody he called back that this was happening to, he found out had sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And then he realized, oh, the food isn't the problem. The food is the solution. And then that's what started the study, to say that what we're reaching out to is like a salve for the pain or for the fear. The drugs, the alcohol, the TV, the sleep, the food, Sex, the whatever fruit, it is, gambling, whatever. it's is—it's—it's there to find a way to, to deal and to comfort.
1: I struggle with the trauma definition. I struggle with the trauma conversation because it feels so amorphous. It feels so everything. Like, how do you treat it if it's everything kind of thing? Do you know what I mean?
3: Well, it's not that it's everything. Yeah, I'd feel that way too. I understand how you could feel that way, but it's more like... Um, you know, trauma is something that lives in the body, and the reason I wanted to make Cracked Up, and because I started learning about trauma, was because Daryl's doctor...
1: How did you get close to Daryl Hammond?
3: Yeah, we were on the path of recovery together for for many years, and we became really close friends. We were working on his Broadway show, he was writing, and I was helping him with the writing, and... He said, my doctor told me not to call what I have a mental illness. He said, I want you to call it a mental injury. And that blew my mind. And I started researching. And that's when I realized that trauma, which there's many different forms. There's big T traumas, little T traumas. But that is biological. And it rewires the developing brain of a child. And our brain is developing from, you know, utero to 24 years old right so i realized oh my god i'm not an asshole i'm not a bad person i've been i was having a trauma response when i learned about the 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 research and the study and what trauma di- is and what it does to the body and bessel Kolk's book the body keeps the score is like will explain it all You gotta read that book. It's amazing. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list for like 300 weeks. And so it really helped my recovery so much. I'll check it out. And I realized that, you know how we say when we leave a meeting, oh, I feel better. And I don't know why I feel better, but I'm at a meeting and I feel better. And it's like, because our brains are literally getting rewired when we are in fellowship, when we are in connection it's not just an emotional thing. We're creating new neural pathways when we're connected.
1: That's awesome. I love to hear that.
3: That's the truth of it.
1: Well, the science of it is very, it's, it's good to understand it and like why we seek it and why someone who's in pain should seek it out because it can undo the pain. It changes yeah, so the way you think. so we have
3: to find ways to calm our bodies down. And meditation is so important. And halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's another way of saying calm the body down. Get some sleep. Have I eaten anything? You know, like if I don't do my walk and move my body, you know, that's a way to regulate. So now the language of regulate. How do I regulate myself? How do I regulate my body and calm my system down? So now I know like, oh, I'm triggered. I'm not going to talk when I'm triggered. I'm going to go... Take gonna, a walk. I'm going to do down. something I, else. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it saved me. It saved my relationships. It's really changed my life to, to understand how my brain and body is affected.
1: Right. That's, that's, that makes sense to me. When did you, when did you stumble into recovery at all?
3: Uh, well, my parents put me into this horrible rehab when I was 17 called straight. Why did they put you in? They were scared to death I was going to die. I had overdosed several times by now. I had a couple of friends who had died from overdoses. I was, you know, I had left my home, uh, ran away. I was living in an abandoned building with, with my boyfriend, whose name was Snake. Wow. I That was, was the boyfriend's name was, on
1: Family Ties. That yeah. was Mallory's boyfriend's name,
3: Snake. <laughs> I was, sorry. I was... I remember running away once and living with this woman and she slept with a rifle under her pillow and then she used to like to jump the bridges as they went up and this I mean she was insane. Um What were you I
1: overdosing was,
3: on? Um you know, probably a ton of Quaaludes and whiskey. Like it's bad mix. And then I would just um I I was I was such a lost child, but I couldn't stop. Like I couldn't stop. So They wanted to save their their kid and they put me in this place and I'd heard about it. I knew like the kids that sort of went to school and they weren't allowed to talk to us anymore and they weren't, you know. And it's called straight? The the girls didn't wear makeup and they wore barrettes in their hair and it was like the moonies, you know.
1: Did you have to do that? Mm Mm-hmm. And how was it?
3: It was terrible. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know. It was a bunch of power-hungry people. Like it was like daytop. It was a long-term TC. Tough, TC tough meaning a you know long-term community. therapeutic community. Very tough. You couldn't. I tried to escape. I faked an appendix attack. They walked us around with a, a by our belt loop. What was faking? Was five phases. The first phase, you couldn't. You had to walk with someone holding the back of your belt loop, uh. back of your pants, and. um Ugh! And I, I, thought if I faked a dependence attack, then my I could get to my parents and tell them this is a bad you don't place. realize that this place is messed up. Right. So I was like, if I just—that's the way I could see my parents and tell them because they had no idea. People, they were sitting on kids who were acting out, sitting
1: they, on them literally.
3: Yeah, they were screaming. We'd get screamed. At, I mean, it was.
1: Did it cure you?
3: No, it didn't cure me.
1: No, you didn't find Jesus at that place. No. So what happened?
3: So when I faked the appendix attack, I I I had this bright idea, throw myself on the ground because you couldn't even go to the bathroom by yourself in in this first phase, you know? Like you're I think it was called a buddy or whatever I had to take you into the bathroom. And uh I threw myself down on the ground and was like, Oh, 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 screaming. My appendix. My <laughs> I appendix. think it's first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have you to the hospital and so they got and she was screaming you're faking it she started screaming at me you're faking it and i was like you know sticking with my acting job and get to the hospital and they would not allow my parents to come in and see me
1: and then you got taken back which there. how'd you get out really of this place really sad
3: i went through it the only way i could get out was to go through it i the mean only they way had like guards at the door right. you could get you couldn't escape
1: how long was it
3: I was. I went it was like a year.
1: So 17 to 18 was straight?
3: 17 to 18, yeah.
1: So what are you like when you come out?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting, and it might sound really weird, is that I ended up working for this program. For straight? For straight, yeah, because I did thaw out, and I did see how, like, I couldn't believe I was alive and how scary my life was that I was living. And I just like really felt the love. And so I became a staff member and I became a very loving staff member.
1: At 18, like right away? Yeah. So you were like indoctrinated. It worked, it really worked. Like you didn't rebel and become some heroin addict in in Miami or something. Oh, I
3: see what you're saying.
1: Like as bad as it was, it obviously had some good effect on you.
3: Yeah, it did, it did. So I had to come to terms with that it saved my life because I was locked up in there, and if I would have got out, I, you know, who knows what would have happened. But what I've what I found in there was how much I loved, I loved these other kids, and I loved helping them. And so I was the one that they would send into the timeout room that you know the other counselors were getting thrown out because they weren't being kind and loving. So if, if it was like a a dangerous kid who was kicking and screaming and hitting the counselors, they'd say, Michelle, you gotta go in there. And You're the I'd, love specialist. I would go in and I didn't I didn't know I was the love specialist, but I would just go in and say, you know, hey, what's going on? And then we'd come out arm in arm and they'd go, What did you do? What'd you say? What's your I said, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know what to call it at that time.
1: That's really interesting to me. Did you stay sober from then on?
3: No so then I I stayed then I left and that was the other thing that when I left after a couple of years they didn't like that like they didn't like anyone to leave they would shame everybody for leaving like you're not doing if well. you, leave, if you're you wanted die. to leave yeah right. yeah right. that's what we were told
1: no i had something like, like that i went to i went to you. treatment in Delray and they were like if you move away from Delray you're going to die
3: yeah exactly yes but you know they they didn't say go to meetings so I didn't know that I needed support. And uh, after a couple of years, I was drinking and using again. And then I asked for help and went to this place called Alina Lodge. Sure. Yeah. And that was an amazing foundation for me.
1: Alina Lodge. Uh,
3: Mrs. Geraldine O'Delaney ran the place. Okay. She had 50 years when I went.
1: I've heard so many stories about her. Her brother's Lodge.
3: sponsor was Bill W.,
1: her sponsor's sponsor?
3: Her brother's sponsor wow. was Bill W. Crazy. Which would make Bill kind of like-
1: Her uncle's sponsor. Yes. Yes.
3: And um. If you're into that she kind was, of thing. She was, am- <laughs> <laughs> she was amazing, Mrs. Delaney.
1: You know Mackenzie Phillips from One Day at a Time?
3: Yeah, she went to Alina lot.
1: Yeah, she said she went to Alina lot. We did
3: a movie together.
1: What movie?
3: Ugh, I'm not even going to say the name. It was so bad. What is it? No, I'm not saying it.
1: How did you get into becoming a filmmaker anyway? And when did you get sober? What was the worst it got for you? What was the Overdosing,
3: worst? Overdosing, <laughs> living with Snake. You know, when I, when I used the second round, when I relapsed, the end was uh, laying face down in my bed, suicidal. I, didn't, I had no hope and I didn't want to live.
1: And that's pretty bad. Yeah. And Alina Lodge was the, was, was the answer.
3: Alina Lodge helped me. They didn't confront people. And the second day I was there. So I I, I signed myself in because I somehow I called a friend of mine when I was in that kind of trouble. I said, I'm in trouble. So he helped me get to Alina Lodge. And I was just I was just willing. I was living in Tampa at the time. I had this apartment in Tampa and I just pa- I was packing up my stuff. I I guess I was gonna put it in storage. This cat walked in. The door was open. This cat walked in. You Know because Alina Lodge is in Blairstown, New Jersey. The cat had a, ne- a little necklace on what's a thing that said Blairstown, New Jersey.
1: That's crazy.
3: Is that crazy? Yeah,
1: that's
3: okay. Why. And the cat just came in and sat on my lap for a little while while I was packing up the pots and pans and then left. Like, so I believe in all these kind of little signs, but I went there. They handed me a big book and a step book and there was no confrontation because I said, I'll go anywhere, but don't send me to a place, you know, that has. Breaks you down to build you back up. Yes, exactly. But then I was the second day I was there, I was like, "Uh oh, I've made a horrible mistake. I said, you know, can I. I was 22. And so I said, I'd like to leave, please. And they said, "Oh, okay, we're gonna need at least 24 hours to get your paperwork together." That's their
1: that's their strategy. to change your mind. We have 24 hours to change your mind.
3: Yeah. So then I went to this. uh, I said, "Okay." They go, "Where are you gonna go?" I said, "I don't know," because I like I didn't have friends, and my my family was like, "It's this or you know, we're out." It was a blizzard. I go. They go, "Where are you gonna go? How you gonna? You have no money." I I I don't care. I'm. I'll walk down the street in the blizzard. Yes. I mean, that's the insane thing. Like, yeah. just get me out of here. Yeah. And so then I was in a group the next day. And obviously, it was like work on Michelle day. And they were so loving. And the counselor, I don't remember his name, but I remember what he looked like. He had gray hair and these black glasses. And he said, Let us love you until you, you can love, love yourself. yourself. Yes. Yes. And I said, uh, Or maybe he asked me, you know. Can you let us love you until you can love yourself? And I said, I'll try. And then I stayed for six months. Wow, six months. It was a three-month minimum sign-in, and I needed that six months.
1: The guy who I started the show with, Chris, who died, he went to Alena Lodge. He did, and he he went to twenty treatments or something. He went to fifteen treatments. Oh my god! But he said what they always said about Alina Lodge was you have to dodge the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't go there is what he said dodge the lodge um uh, what year did he go there he went there i have no idea but i would guess yeah. was
3: mrs delaney alive when he went i don't i don't I think don't so know.
1: i doubt it he probably went in 2010 or 2000 yeah, no, no no no. he probably went there in like 2005 or something
3: uh, she i think she had passed yeah
1: when did you become so spiritual so into all this stuff Buddhism and Tibetan stuff and, and all of this very, very, very intensive I spirituality.
3: I mean, I think we're all spirits, so I think we're all spiritual. I always felt, I mean, when I was little, I felt like, uh, a spa- like I fell out of the spaceship into this family and like, were they going to come back and get me? <laughs> and <they laughs> you still wa- have- you're still waiting? Huh? You're
1: still waiting for the spaceship to come back?
3: No, no, I found my home. Yeah. Yeah but I, I felt just so out of place. And I used to, we lived on the water growing up and I used to stare at the water and just like really, and I would feel this pain, like so much pain when I was a little emotional pain. And I wasn't putting it in this language, but I was just like, what is this about? <laughs> why am, why, why are we here if we have to feel this pain? You know, I don't understand. And I would stare at the water and uh and then I just would look at my family and be like, you know, they're nice people, but you know, like, just such disconnection.
1: I can relate to that. And,
3: um, and when I came in the program, it was revolutionary to sit in a circle with people or however the chairs were set up, and people were talking the truth. People were sharing feelings. Men were crying. You know, women were crying. I never saw this before. We didn't have these discussions in my family, right? I mean, my dad came home. He talked about work. We listened. It was very patriarchal system in my family. I learned to not talk very early and to just dissociate from myself. And so this was like, wow. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. And I loved it. I loved it. I was looking for this. I didn't know I was looking for it. So but much I connection,
1: love, is, hugging. Being seen. Being known and being seen. Being
3: seen, being known. And then you could say like, you could say, you know, I could say anything and it'd be like, I did that too. Right. I always say we were the first Me Too movement, you right. know, like Me Too, you know, the Me Too is so, you know, such a brilliant phrase. Uh, thank you, Tarana Burke, because it's a. Uh, you're not alone.
1: Totally. That makes a lot of sense to me. So it's like basically program opened the door to spirituality. And then it's like you access all of this connection to a higher power. And then you're finding all these different paths to it, I'm assuming.
3: Well, I mean, I've, I honestly feel like it was there. But, you know, I, I think it's always all inside us. I remember when I asked Bob Weir for the, for the Wavy movie, you know, I said, well, what has Wavy taught you? And I, I would ask everybody that, that I interviewed about Wavy. And so people would say, oh, Wavy taught me this, Wavy taught me that. But Bob Weir goes, Wavy hasn't taught me anything. And I was like, oh, what's Bob going to do? Is he getting mad? <laughs> and he goes, Wavy affirms what I already know. And I love that. And so when something resonates, it's because it's already inside you. Like my sponsor said, you you know, if you spot it, you got it.
1: Right. No, I love that phrase. It yeah. reminds me of, I remember, I never was paid particularly good attention in school or anything. But I remember, and I would I would hear a little piece of something and decide that I knew that's how it was. Yeah. So this is not going to necessarily be correct. And this is my preamble for what I'm going to say. That, <laughs> that like... Carl Jung believed that all of human civilization exists within ourselves. Like understanding the knowledge of history and the knowledge of the universe, and there are these ancient symbols and ancient things that were all connected, and, and that exists within us. And I remember it was it was before I became a drug addict, but I was a serious stoner and I was taking a lot of psychedelics, and uh, my roommate was from poughkeepsie and we went to chop wood at his parents house for his parents and underneath the bark, and i grew up in manhattan so underneath the bark and they're chopped wood underneath the bark of the tree there was like this symbol in the wood that looked like something from the ocean or something and i was like whoa this is a real cosmic moment for me and i and i kind of got this feeling like that everything was already there you know and and all you had to do is try to plug yourself into it and i get that sense from what you're talking about and around the same time i don't know if i told you this story it was like 1995 or something and i was an intern at the international center for photography on the upper east side it was on like 94th and madison back then. and i lived on 27th and 8th Mm -hmm. and every day i would walk all the way Mm -hmm. um and i would walk through central park diagonally which is the Mm -hmm. best and I, I would go to the meadow, and I would, I would buy weed in the meadow, and acid in the meadow, whatever. But mm-hmm. one day there was this woman, and she had all these spiritual texts. Right. And I wasn't yet, you know, afflicted. I was probably an addict. I was, but I wasn't. I didn't have consequences. I, I was having a nice life, enjoying being a stoner, acid person, hippie, whatever. And uh, <laughs> and she had all these spiritual texts laid out, and I was mm-hmm. so interested. I didn't want to do the work. But I was very interested in this deeper thing, and I said, "What? What are you? Are you?" Because she had a Buddhist book, a Sufi book, a fucking Hindu book, maybe Kabbalah. Who knows? She had all these books. And uh, she said, "I'm a universally spiritual person in love." And I was like, "Oh my!" I was like, "My mind is blown." (laughs) And I I I, never—I think I hung out with her for like four days in a row or something, and I never saw her again. But I knew that's what I wanted to be, and you remind me of that, Mm. this woman, and I love that.
3: Yeah. I mean, chopping wood is spiritual, uh, making soup, cutting, you know, the chopping carrots is, is—it's. I, th- I think it's about dropping down. You know, I was helping somebody last night who was, uh, I was on a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and uh, he was struggling, and then we did a Zoom call after. And he was freaking out about something, and so he was all up here in his head, you know, and I think... To remember, this is my belief. I I believe we're souls here in this Earth School, as Gary Zukav calls it, the Earth School. I I said, you know, can you drop down? Put your hand over your heart. You know, just just drop down. And I love the phrase, drop down. Get out of this. From head to this. Right. You know, we just we took four deep breaths. We held our our hearts, and right then and there. I know I felt better he felt better you know we did some more work together from that place and so I have altars like if and I have a lot of pictures of people that inspire me so it it what it does is when I when I look at it it's like a reminder so I'm living in the real world and I'm making my movies and I'm like oh, I got to do this and I got to call that and I got to I got to pick up those tapes and I got to you know transfer those drives and that. And then I look at that and I go, oh, oh, yeah. I am a spirit. I am a soul. It's, in the, you know, we say in the program, uh, I heard uh, I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being.
1: I heard uh, Bart Simpson say that on The Simpsons. No, he said I'm a human going. It was it- – <laughs> It was like some new new age thinker comes to Springfield, and 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 they tell everyone to be like Bart because he's a, the inner child that everybody should have. But I'm with you, and and yeah. I what I was thinking just now was when you got sober, did you ever miss using? And and then of I kind of, did you?
3: Of course, I can miss using anytime. Yeah, because, last week I was like, oh man, I would uh, actually. Was it last week or a few days ago? I literally considered drinking.
1: I think it was a few days ago. <laughs> Why?
3: Um, I saw, I was watching some movie or something and the red wine looks so good. Right. And, oh no, it was last night. <laughs> it's like Stephen Wright, remember the comedian Stephen Wright? Yes. He'd say like two weeks ago, I mean uh, yesterday. Um, <laughs> so actually literally yesterday. So I've been watching this series. I had a lot of red wine that looks so good and and like good food. And I love good food, red wine. And then, oh, I really helped my friend in the program last night. Like I did a lot of trauma work with him. He was like, wow, I feel so different. My arms are light. My limbs are lighter, like everything. And then I was like, huh, maybe I could drink. (laughs) Like literally my brain just (laughs) went, Um, hmm. And I started thinking about red wine and I just started picturing it. And then I just picturing myself drinking it. And of course, you know, who doesn't want to drink red wine? I mean, maybe there's some people. And I started and I was like, then I just started laughing at myself. No, that's funny. And I have 37 years of sobriety. What is doing trauma
1: work with somebody look like though? Like, how do you do it? What do you do?
3: Well, I I did want to say to people, because I used to think when I was new that if I thought about drinking, I was in trouble. And I just want to say to me, it's the most natural thing in the world. Don't worry about it. Just be open about it. If I keep it a secret, then then it's probably going to happen. But I never keep it a secret. I'm never ashamed of it. So I always share about it.
1: Thoughts come and go. There's nothing you can really yeah. do about your yeah. thinking. Yeah,
3: it's normal. It's like, I remember when I was in Florida once, this was like 20 years ago probably, and I said, I shared that I wanted to drink, you know, that I was having a desire to drink because I was taught if you're having a desire to drink, Tell somebody. Drug, to, to share about it or whatever, just don't keep it a secret. It's the secrets that get us into trouble. And this man shared like, have you done a four-step? <laughs> I was like, yes <laughs> no
1: cross-talking dude <laughs> It
3: was a cross-talk meeting right. let me tell you and i was like yes i have but that was like the way he thought about it like if you wanted to drink you didn't work a good enough program and i think that that's a really wrong message to give to people i what, think that's
1: very important to say actually yeah. so i appreciate that
3: yeah it's really important um so how
1: does how do you do trauma work like, can you, can you give any tips to people who are suffering from trauma in the audience? What can I do to deal with my own horrible trauma? How do I get out of you this call thing? call me. And what do we do?
3: Well, it depends what's going on. You know, this particular person was having like a trauma response from a really successful thing that's going to happen next week for him, you know? And I believe we have all these younger parts there's something called parts work, but people can look it up. Dick Schwartz, who started Internal Family System, wrote a book called There Are No Bad Parts. So I'll call whatever younger part is freaking out, have a chat, reparent her, and say, uh, I'm here. Tell her what she needs to hear to feel safe. And um, not let her drive the bus. That's the thing. Like, these these parts can kind of take over and drive the bus and crash the bus, and then the wise adult is the part that's here and now and present.
1: See, for me, I I get excited about things all the time, you know, crazy excited about things. And I've had a lot of things that I've gotten excited about and I've gotten really disappointed about. I mean, like, I know the sober thing to do when you get excited is to enjoy the moment, mitigate expectations, but enjoy your excitement, right? Fine, because it's exciting to be excited. But I want to tell the person, don't get excited because I the disappointment, no one ever (laughs) told me not to get excited, but I've experienced so much disappointment that I hate to get excited now. I hate to go with it. I I like to just have, and I don't even want to taste. Like, I'm just such a fucking addict. Like, when I have a taste of anything, I want all of it, you know, and then more than I should have. You know, like, I struggle with that, with getting excited about something.
3: Right, so the story that I'm making up is like that's a phrase that uh, my teacher have taught me to say be- pretty much before I talk the story that I'm making up is <laughs> right because it. they're all stories I'm making up right so it's kind of like getting down there and and, and talking to that part that's making up the stories and reassuring that part that everything's going to be okay you know that I that I'm an adult and I can sort of a set, if something does go wrong, I can tell that younger part of myself, hey, it's, it's cool. It's cool, sweetheart. You know, I'm going to handle it. If something does go wrong, I'm, I know what to do. Like, I love that you're excited. I want you to know you can always be excited. Right. Um, That's nice. And, and I'm going to be excited. And if anything goes wrong, I'll handle it.
1: It'll be okay.
3: Yeah, I'll handle it because I'm the adult.
1: I love it. I think that's really, really, uh, it's a nice idea. But I mean,
3: sometimes, you know, the way I know if I'm in a trauma response is I feel very dysregulated in my body. I feel like...
1: Describe it.
3: uh, I feel anxious and um, sometimes I feel frozen. One of the way my trauma manifests is like fight, flight, freeze. So I'll freeze. I'll be really scared. I used to go to shame, but now I jump up to grandiosity you know, like self-righteous indignation. And I know when I'm in that, like it's like, that's a trauma response. I know if I'm using words like always, never, right? If it's just black and white. Right. If there's no nuance to it, then I'm in a triggered state. Right. And I'm in a younger part of myself. Right. Like, right? like
1: I'm fucked kind of feeling. Yeah,
3: like, I'm fucked. Like It's over. Yeah. If I'm it's like, done. Yeah, if one minute I could be excited about my, if I'm so excited about the film, and then 10 minutes later, I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Right. This is not going to work. You know, it's like every and then that sounds
1: very familiar. to And me that's somehow. a
3: story that can just come back, and then I have to go, Michelle. Nothing that you're thinking is actually happening. And I'll go for a walk. Like walks help me so much. They help regulate me, and I'll come back like me too, you know, feeling so much better. Moving the body is
1: and seeing things crucial. Seeing things and moving through the universe.
3: Yeah, like moving. Yeah. So it's really about, you know, if you're feeling triggered, finding ways to calm your body down. I mean, what works for me not might not work for somebody else, you know? I
1: want to talk about the movie because the movie, like, I was a fan of, of Wavy Gravy. Like, I was a big fan of Wavy Gravy because mm-hmm. I was such a fan of the Woodstock movie and the Electric kool aid acid test. Yeah. So, like, I, I was really invested in this guy. And the thing about Wavy Gravy is... Because I'm cynical. I'm like, how can this guy be like this all the time? You know? And and that's
3: why I made the movie. Can I tie this into recovery? Go for it. Okay. So, how much time did I have when I met Wavy? I'm trying to think. I probably had around seven ish years when I met him. And. I was so, we did some like benefit work together. And anyway, I got to know him and I was so blown away because what I witnessed was everybody who got to be in his presence for even a little or a significant amount of time walked away wanting to go help somebody. And I was in New York, I was producing events against the war and like, that's what I want to do. I was like trying to help people in these big, you know, productions and protests and everything like that. And then I just saw, I said, um, wow, what if I put him on the screen and the whole audience and audiences walk away wanting to go help somebody. So in recovery, you know, we learn like uh, to be of service. We learn about love. But if I talk about helping people, I'll put you to sleep. Okay. So I'm not going to do that. But I just saw this sort of thing being transmitted that was nonverbal. It was all energetic. And he wasn't telling people, go help people. It was just his being and the way he, he his verbiage and, you know, the way he phrases things and, and his sense of humor. And he, you know, it's even hard to put it into words like you have to see the movie. It's and a so- sense
1: of fun. He, he His
3: sense of fun, but he—he's a deeply, as Ramda says, he's a deeply spiritual being. Like he is a bodhisattva. Bonnie Raitt and you know, was the first person I heard called Wavy a bodhisattva. He really is. He really is like living on another plane. But because he's dressed in tie dye and walking a fish on a leash, you know, he—he's he, not walking around in saintly clothes. But he really is. He really is. A Walking Saint.
1: Well, I, I, I got that feeling. Coolest thing in the movie is early in the movie where he's getting his dinner together and he stops by Ben and Jerry's to get 50 <laughs> pints of ice cream. And we learn that if you have a flavor named after you, you get free ice cream. For life. I have a five-year plan that's going to have a dopey flavor coming out. So I plan on having a card like that. That's kind of the only thing I really want to do I with think my that's life. That's a
3: really good thing.
1: That's the only thing I want in my life is that card, and it, I saw that card, and my whole world changed. <laughs> and then though the movie really changed me in this weird way, because like people talk about Dopey helping them, and people congratulate me on having this show that helps people, and I always say like I don't really want it to help anybody. It's not supposed to help anybody. I like downplay the altruistic aspect that right. could be associated with it, because I just want it to be a good show. I just want it to be fun and funny and a good time and right. entertaining. But, right. the, but this movie made me think like, we did just start a 501c3 to help people, but I haven't been putting a lot of work into it. And this right. movie just in, it lit a fuse under me to say like, how can I do more? Because he makes it look good. He is not pretentious. He is not annoying with his altruism the way some people could be seen as annoying with their altruism. And I know that's fucked up of me to even say somebody's annoying with their altruism.
3: Well, there's those people out there that like, um, and I was probably one of them at one time that just sort of went to the spiritual bypass. Do you know what I mean? Just sort of went to the phrase or the platitude, but wasn't really sort of there yet. If I ever did that, I'm sure that was annoying. But that was probably because I was afraid to go to the, you know, to the ugly places or the painful places. But I mean, it helps me sort of get on with my day. If I'm afraid, if I'm feeling nervous about something, I will, and I learned this in the program, you know, just like, just go to be of service. Right. You know, like maybe, uh, like don't make it about you.
1: Service is the best way to not get caught up with yourself.
3: And you know, the best service is smiling. I think smiling is the easiest. It's free.
1: It's you not just, that much work. You, you just to do smile. It and it happens. Like
3: sometimes when I'm, it's like an exercise I do if I'm really like obsessed about something. I'm going to walk around the block and smile at every person.
1: Nice. Do you do that?
3: I do that And sometimes. the response? I mean, people love it. Of course. At first, they they're a little shocked. Like, wh- what are you looking at? <laughs> what are you smiling at?
1: That was another thing in the movie. Wavy Gravy has the word "smile"
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, written above his bed, and I, I feel like that was a Yoko Ono thing, but she probably stole it from somebody else.
3: His son painted that on his ceiling when Wavy was in back pain, and like uh, you know, like Wavy did service because he had he was beaten by the cops. His back was broken, like you know. 17 million times by the cops and uh he lived with horrific horrific physical pain and so his son painted smile on the ceiling so when he was laying in bed you know he could look at that
1: his son and he went to do
3: service and help kids in hospitals he was the one who put the clown nose on and went to the hospitals you know the service (laughs) he Cured Tibet
1: of blindness, didn't he? I mean, like he did a well, lot. Well, I think good. they're up
3: to they're up to five or six million sight saving operations in the developing world.
1: the The son though is really interesting. His real name was Howdy Do Good Tomahawk. We're giving the
3: whole movie away.
1: I, it's not <laughs> giving away. but like he's like when I turned thirteen, I was like, please call me Jordan. <laughs> How did he get Jordan? Why Jordan? <laughs>
3: well, it's not. It's too many spoilers.
1: In okay, okay. And what what war and were never you protesting made a movie. when you met him?
3: the Iraq war.
1: And where did you meet him?
3: I met him because I launched the Grateful Dead neckties. <laughs> <Do> you <laughs> the launched the Jerry
1: Garcia neckties? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we go?
3: Yes, me and my ex Martin Torgoff. We were living on the Upper West Side and he's a writer. I was an actress and like, you know, we were struggling to pay the bills and this sort of Madison Avenue PR firm friend of ours knew this woman who was you know about like Prada and Chanel and doing PR for those kind of companies somehow she landed the Jay Garcia ties as a client and she knew nothing about the Grateful Dead and Marty he wrote press releases for you know Live Aid Farm Aid so like he he you know was wrote for interview with Andy Warhol I mean so he was like a great he was plugged in he was a big rock and roll writer right so he went for this interview and they wanted to do like a launch and he they needed somebody who knew the Grateful Dead to write the press releases and so he's like and at the time I had been I think I had done some event, and I but I was I don't know I was getting called Gertrude Stein of the Upper West Side because I was throwing these uh, salons, you know, and like dinner and having all these great artists come over and do their thing. Anyway, they wanted to have some sort of cocktail party launch. And he said, oh, you know, my girlfriend, she's like, she'd be amazing at this. So we both got hired. And it went from like a $5,000 cocktail party budget to like a $100,000 event. Right. And everything, every idea we took to him, I was like, I could do a $5,000 party, but what if we got like an opera singer to sing a Grateful Dead as an aria, Grateful Dead songs as an aria? Instead of a fashion show with like Ford models, what if we got real famous deadheads and then do like a 12-step meeting and say, uh, hi, my name is Paul Mazursky, Paul Mazursky did it. And I'm a deadhead. Hi, I'm Paul Mazursky, I'm a deadhead. I've been to over 300 shows and I'm wearing the dancing bear tie. So that was our fashion show. We did stuff like that and um, had this huge event. And it, the tie line became the number one tie line, you know, of all the ties. And we did the the Grateful Dead wear line.
1: Awesome. Did you meet Jerry?
3: No, he had passed.
1: The ties were after he died.
3: Yeah, the ties were after he died. I don't
1: know why I had it in my head differently. Yeah, they
3: were based on his art. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, that's too bad.
3: I yeah. Know. So then they, they fired the Madison Avenue lady and then they hired us to do like a whole other campaign for Grateful Dead lounge wear. How did you set up? And, this oh, so that's how I met Wavy Gravy. I was getting sidetracked. I met Wavy Gravy because the Grateful Dead bandmates didn't want to be the spokesperson for the tie line, even though they were involved. And so Marty, you know, was writing a book and Wavy was part of that book. And so he said, how about Wavy? And they said, that would be fine. So we went to Wavy and then we said, uh, would you be the spokesperson to do the press? Sort of the, you know, and, and then we set up a scholarship fund for children who are economically challenged to go to Camp Win a Rainbow, his circus and performing arts camp. Um, so a percentage of every Thai or every piece of loungewear that was sold went, went to, to this scholarship fund. That's awesome. Which is now called the Grace and Joy Scholarship Fund.
1: So that's how that for all happened. For Camp and Rainbow, yeah. You're friendly with a lot of like cool kind of people.
3: I do have a lot of wonderful friends.
1: But like yeah. when you once told me that Odetta is your mother,
3: how does that happen? How does that work? What does it mean? Explain well, it to me. Well, it's a very personal story. She was in but the she movie. Was my, she was my second mother. My birth mother, who's named Joan, um, and my father was Jerry, um, raised me. And my birth mother, Joan, um, I mean, when I say my birth mother, it sounds like she just gave birth to me and didn't raise me. Odette, I met when I was a young adult. and um, How did that happen? We became very close. I, just, I met her through friends, and we became very, very close. And she she just started introducing me as her daughter. And, you know, when you're Odetta, if you don't know who Odetta I mean, she's the voice of the Civil Rights Movement and this this icon. And so in her world, I was, you know, everybody saw me as her daughter. And so then I started telling my, you know, Joan, my mom, like, hey, you know, there's, there's this thing happening. How do you feel about it? She was actually really cool about it. You know, she said, I think it's wonderful. She said, I had five kids of my own and Odetta never, like, birthed her own children. So she said, I think your relationship with her is beautiful. And which is really cool, because I've talked to a lot of mothers who have said they would have been upset or threatened. I mean, at Odetta's memorial, I invited my mom. And I said, you just want you to know, you know, like, there's going to be 3000 people there and two presidents. And, you know, I will be introduced as as Odetta's daughter, are you gonna be okay with that? And she's like, I'm so proud. Right. <laughs> you know, well, and they she met, knows you are her e- daughter, though.
1: You know they, what I mean? They
3: they met each other.
1: Well, she's awesome in that movie. And and one of my favorite things about that movie, Saint Misbehaven and Dope Nation, you should watch that movie. And cracked up. Well, the moment. warning
3: with Saint Misbehaven is only watch it if you want to feel good. Right. So yeah. that warning you.
1: But like <laughs> the people that you speak to are like a lot of mine just heroes like Ramblin' Jack Elliot and like Odetta and whoever. You know
3: how he got his name? Odetta's mom.
1: Named Ramblin' Jack?
3: Yep. Gave him that name, Ramblin' Jack Elliot.
1: Well, listen, I love being in your apartment. I love hearing your story. And uh, I love your talk about trauma work and being groovy and all of it. <laughs> so thank you for co- Is there anything you want to say that you didn't say?
3: Um, I want to talk about my new film.
1: Yeah, talk about your new film.
3: Which is about recovery. Okay. So my new film that I'm really excited about is about Bruce Springsteen's therapist. Nice. His name is Terry Real. I say that because Bruce wrote the foreword to his new book called Us. So I'm not breaking any kind of HIPAA law here. And it's not about Bruce's therapy. It's about the work that Terry does really resonated with me because I feel really frightened about the state of the world. Right. And the disconnection and the, the division is manifesting in ways that feel really scary to me. And there's this phrase in the zeitgeist now that connection is the opposite of trauma. Okay. And then... So uh, isn't it
1: the connection is the opposite of addiction? That's the Johan Hari phrase.
3: I started saying when I would introduce Cracked Up, this is before the pandemic, and we were taking it around the world here. I would say connection is the opposite of trauma. And that is because that really is how we heal trauma, because we are wired for connection, literally, in our bodies. Biologically, we are wired for connection. We are wired for love. And that's why the meetings work, because we're in there seeing each other and in community and in fellowship. And And that's that's why we feel better. And that's why we feel bad when we isolate. Right. Not alone, but isolation is is makes the circuits go haywire. Fucks so you. So that's up. a biological fact. Okay. And so, how do we connect? How do we have relationships? We all know we we struggle with relationships. There's many chapters in the big book about relationships. Sure. Right. How do we stay connected? How do we repair? How do we love? And. Which is,
1: which is why this movie is probably going to be so important because if we can have a grip on these relationships, then we can have much more of a grip on our life and our happiness.
3: Right. Bruce says in the forward, Bruce Springsteen, he says in the forward, if I can't connect to you and I can't connect to me, I can't connect to climate change. I can't connect to racism. I can't connect to anything. So what's, what, what happens in, in the me and the you between two people is the same thing that happens in a patriarchal system. They both marry each other so beautifully. So it's gonna go broader to the to the culture, to community, to patriarchy is power over, and connection is power with. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both at the same time.
1: Right, I get it. All right, well, Michelle, it's a beyond a joyful moment for me to spend this little time with you. And thank you for coming on our little podcast.
3: I love you, Dave.
1: I love you too, Michelle. All right, That was Michelle Ezrick.
2: So, um, Her house is very a,
1: crystaly. She's
2: a, well, I got some fucking crystals too. Not like she does. If you looked on my shelves? And you,
1: movie? you, if you go there, There's you cannot really big old you, crystals everywhere. You, it's like a fucking hippie. I've got mal-
2: Malachite on right now. It's
1: Aaron. It's <laughs> not comparable. She's right. got like the, the divine grace right. of probably None. Right. 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 Whatever.
2: I love the Daryl Hammond documentary, as I mentioned at the top. Um, so, and I didn't know that. So I was very excited. That movie's heartbreaking. Oh
1: my God. Heartbreaking movie.
2: Seriously. And then a, a couple of quick things like you guys touched on intergenerational trauma. I think it's a very real thing. Break it down. Um, people who survived the Holocaust, they passed right. that intergenerational right. right. trauma onto their children. Right. And I, I've seen that firsthand. Right. Um, even if it's just in sort of the way that they parent. Um, and then a couple of things stood out to me. She quoted Vanderkalk, who wrote *The Body Keeps the Score*, which is you know huge book still. That when your reality is not seen or known, that is the trauma, and that's so true. That like trauma can come in all different forms, and I think a lot of times you've as you've talked about that you didn't really have any big trauma, but as a kid, not feeling like your sense of reality is validated can be very traumatizing
1: yeah it's it's hard i think it's very hard to to understand this stuff Mm -hmm. it's it's so and it's so easy to poo-poo it Mm -hmm. you know it's very hard to like accept it embrace it understand it Mm -hmm. live it uh but it also like it's a little glimmer of light of to like okay well, maybe I did go through something and maybe that something really did have something to do with this. Because when you go to treatment and you say and they're like, well, why are you on heroin? And you're like, because I wasn't known. They're like, fuck you. I know. You know, they don't want to hear that. I shit. mean, and
2: that's part of it. That's like one issue I have with sort of like disease model when it comes to treatment. What I, happened? Is that I think that I do think that there are some people that the first time they took a drink, it flipped a switch for them. But I don't think that that's true for everyone. Of course. And I think that there are a lot of people, for most people, that, like, uh, whatever substance it is, is symptomatic of what the underlying issue is, right? Like, there's a reason that, like, until I started addressing my trauma, I couldn't sustain recovery. Um, And I think that, like, this is kind of like, I mean, sort of like what I've always told my kids or When they're, I guess, not really Franklin, but with Atticus and I just tell people in general, it's like when something, when we're really afraid of something or something feels very large in our psyche or traumatic, when we get curious about it, that's like a really good hack (laughs) into being able to confront something we don't want to confront. Because you kind of have to. Well, because like if I'm, so say like I'm deathly afraid, like I'm claustrophobic, right? So are then, you? like, I, I am. I, I, you know, part of, like, what I did in EMDR is, like, part of... That's part of EMDR. It's, like, getting curious about sort of where that comes from. Like, I, this, I told you that last week I was feeling a little depressed. And one of the things I didn't mention is that one of my insomnia things that happens is that I close my eyes and I start to panic. I feel claustrophobic with my eyes shut and feel afraid that I'm going to die if oh my eyes God. are shut, that I'm going to stop breathing. That's a lot. And... So that's one of the things that I've worked on over the years. And like it's about like getting curious about it, right? Like what, you want to know why I think that I was feeling that way last week? Because I was hearing left and right about people around my age or a little bit older like dying of heart attacks. And I think that it started to put a little bit of like ang- like subliminal like anxiety for me about like I have – that's like one of my big anxieties is like, oh, I'm going to die and then like my kids aren't going to be okay
1: they won't you they won't have known you
2: it's not even that like i just know like the wound of like losing a parent especially right when they're still a kid right. i don't know like that i don't i could get all in my head about well, it, but i'm getting no. off track yeah, i mean
1: listen though i mean like i don't i don't look at things in the same way
2: mm-hmm.
1: but i get it you know what i mean like i think everybody's origin story informs their reality totally and in some situations like A super big loss develops something else in them, Mm -hmm. and uh, I tend to look at that side of of life. And it's like at my meeting, it's like everybody, like it's like the way people talk about God at Mm -hmm. my meeting, and they talk about God how you know in in this very specific way, like how God put them here or there Mm -hmm. or whatever. And like in the past, I would be like, all right, it's time to go. Mm -hmm. And now it's just like, well, everything just happens. And if you want to and if you want to attribute it to this very conscious higher power that puts you in this situation or whatever, Mm -hmm. good for you. And it's like I feel like whatever happens, we have to deal with it and then like do better or worse, depending on how much work we're willing to put in. Mm And I think we've gotten off the track of Michelle Ezra. We
2: totally have. But that's okay. That's what we do. So, one other thing I just wanted to highlight that she said, she talked to you guys were talking about like selfishness as a symptom of fear. And this really resonated with me because this came up recently in a conversation I was having with somebody who has a teenager that's been kind of like lying and manipulative. They're not using drugs or anything, just sort of like they're being a little manipulative or like fibbing things to kind of get their way with their parents. And and what I had told them was that, you know, people manipulate because they don't have trust that they're going to get what they need. Right, and right. So,
1: they they want to guarantee that they're going to get the outcome that they want.
2: So this is, to me, and they're a blended family, so this is, to me, like a s- symptomatic of, like, this kid doesn't believe that their step-parent is going to give them the love and and validation that they need so that they have to manipulate the situation to get it. Because behavior is just communication. And this is something as a parent that's really challenging for me to always remember is that when, whether they're an adult or child having a tantrum, it is communication. They are communicating something that they don't know how to put into words. And when we look at behavior that way, it allows us to sort of have more compassion and empathy for people and not be as reactive to it and not be as affected by it.
1: Do where you know did where mean? did we start though? Selfishness as what? Is a symptom of fear. So how do so you're saying that people will be manipulative or selfish because they're scared of not
2: Because they're afraid they're not going to get their needs or wants. They they're not going to get what they need. They're not going to feel whether it's like you know like kids sometimes fib about things because they want their parents to love them or validate them, right? So they lied about a grade or they lied about, like, it's not about getting in trouble. It's about, like, thinking they're not going to get that, that sort of primal need fat, fit, uh, filled. <laughs> I can't
1: talk. Well, that's also a very positive way of looking at it mm-hmm. because, like, I can look at a situation like, like, I'm sure I've said this on the show, like, my friends, when they would come to my house mm-hmm. when I was a kid, My mother would ask a million questions and my my friends would know not to say anything because they knew I was going to start lying at that point because I I felt the need to tell my mother crazy lies from the moment. When I I left school till, and I, we weren't really doing anything
2: because you wanted your because on like a subconscious level you wanted to know that your mother loved you,
1: right? Because I I I, it, I think what I I don't want I didn't want to hear shit about it. You right. know what I mean? Like I didn't want to hear about. Of course, then we wound up like shoplifting every day right. after school. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> she didn't want to hear about like taking the subway. Right. You know, she wanted me to take the bus. Right. And I take the subway, and she didn't want to hear about it. But then it like it's funny because then it's like you know, stealing cookies and then going to HMV and stealing records and then like walk, you know, whatever we would do. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting, like your take on it, Mm -hmm. that we manipulate to receive the love that we want somebody else's take on it, which is we manipulate to get what we want. Yeah. Which is the same kind of thing. It's, it's all about how you look at it.
2: It's, I mean, the thing is, is that like we, like, I'm not saying that like they're, you know, that there aren't like self-serving motivations to selfish behavior, but at the root of it, a person who feels that their wants and needs are met is not going to be manipulating and lying to get what they want and need.
1: I really, I think this might be the most enlightening thing you've ever said. on I know. This <laughs> I really do. I think this is next level. I think right. you got to write this down. I know this is good <laughs> because it really means that any way that anyone ever acts out, Mm-hmm. is just because their needs aren't met.
2: This is why when I look when we talk when you I talk You should take a deep
1: breath right now. <laughs> I you know. don't want to fuck this up, Aaron.
2: This is why in sort of the advocacy work I do and a starting place for me when I talk with representatives and their aides I talk about in terms of treating the addiction crisis in America, it goes back to, to early childhood and on up through and into long-term aftercare that we make sure that we are giving people the tools to get their wants and needs met without having to harm other people, harm themselves, right? And we, look, most of us as adults struggle with those, those, those skills, so how are we passing them along to our children?
1: Right. Well, th- and that's the, but then, like, the next thing is, like, Yes, at its core, when we act out and when we behave badly and when we do not the greatest things or bad things Mm -hmm. or horrible things, it's because our needs aren't met. But at that point, we're also harming people. For sure. And ourselves. For sure. And like and society. And it's
2: not that and I, I'm not at all saying that people shouldn't be held accountable for behavior.
1: Right. I just think it's but it's, I think it's cool. That it,
2: I think that it's like when we look at it as communication and what that's communicating, we have a better chance of helping people change that behavior.
1: Right. And I, I just think that that's a really interesting and, and pretty enlightening. Mm-hmm. And I never give you credit like this. So Thanks. really enjoy this. <laughs> enlightening take. Thank you. I like it. What else? And what else about uh, Michelle?
2: Another thing that, that I thought was really good is that um, I, I think this was actually, you both were talking about this, like the excitement thing, like, like that sometimes... Excitement would veer into anxiety, like being excited about something sure. would veer into anxiety. And that totally makes sense because expectation. Excitement and anxiety, well, no, even more basic than that, excitement and anxiety are like cousins. They feel very similar in the body in terms of what excitement and anxiety physiologically do to us. They feel very similar. If I am about to go on a roller coaster and I'm so excited about it, that anticipation and then the that first feeling of dropping is very similar to me going through a horrible thing that I don't want to do right. and I'm anxious about. So I think that that's why it's common that you know excitement can easily transfer to anxiety, especially when those expectations come in.
1: Right. One thing that my younger daughter Susan says often is she's nervous sighted, which is that's very astute. Yes, which is her combining yeah ner- ner- the the God given Mannheimian neuroses that she was born with, with the excitement of life. Yes. Uh, The other, and I'm finding that like Susan's age is is hitting a sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really enjoying her. She's funny and and cute and fun and energetic. But after seven, it's like fucking hell, right? It's fucking hell because not only is she needing to be asleep, I'm needing to be asleep. I'm hungry and I'm tired. The other day and like this is how middle class suburban family we are now. We go to Applebee's. So the uh, we it's not like we go once in a while. We, we're like now. It's like we, a weekly thing. Now right. it's starting to become a thing that right. we do more often because like I don't want to wait at some nice restaurant with the right. kids and right. it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, we'd eat all right over there. Yeah. So we we go to Applebee's <laughs> and uh, oh god. It's 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 cold, it's wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda drives. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this. I'm the passenger, and uh, she drives, and we, we into a puddle. Mm-hmm. Which who cares? Whatever. I get out of the car, and I'm gonna take Susan out of the back seat mm-hmm. and put her on the ground. I go, Susan, I got to pick you up." She goes, "Why?" I said, "There's a huge puddle there." Susan and Linda had been shopping that day at Claire's. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about Claire's, the, the, the little the girl accessory place. Yes. Yeah. And they bought her a furry unicorn backpack, Mm -hmm. which you probably wore to countless raves (laughs) in your 20s, and uh, with my dad's, like, Hanukkah money or Mm -hmm. whatever. So uh, Susan, I don't know why, I'm about to pick her up. She takes the bag, and she just fucking throws it into the puddle. To see what would happen. I don't know what she was thinking. And I fucking lost it. Mm-hmm. I went I went, Jesus fucking Christ. I, I like walked away. <laughs> I, I like never right. I was fucking shot. Right. And then she goes, Daddy, why'd you throw my backpack into the puddle? I was like what I was like I didn't th- going into the puddle and she goes yes you did (sighs)
2: and she starts screaming and crying because she felt probably immediately remorseful that she did it and she couldn't take the feeling that she did that
1: and now and now the the manheimian total liar has come out and she's decided (laughs) that i've thrown it and i and and i'm just like no i didn't And i'm carrying her and she's screaming and crying in applebee's and she's like Daddy, you really should have done that. And I'm like, you gotta stop now. But it but it's like it's both
2: of my kids have done that. Like that thing where like something will happen, they're like, they're like, you may, it's your fault. And I'm like, I wasn't even in the room.
1: <laughs> Amazing. But then peace settled in and, and life, right. life went on. And it was a joyous meal at right. Applebee's. I don't know how we got there. Oh, from nervous sided.
2: But I wanna say one other thing related to the show um, that I made a note of that's that coincides with this. You guys also talked about on the woo-woo side, yes. like sort of things to to do about like getting outside and moving when you're feeling like depressed or feeling anxious and stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's like, this is something again, like I feel like a broken record I always talk about. And one of the things I love about living in New York city is being able to get outside and immediately see people is that it gets us, it triggers mindfulness, right? Because it immediately puts us in present time. So whatever it is that we're worrying about, whether past or future, We are seeing present time in action and it gets us out of our. So I'm in the house, like, so anxious about, like, some, you know, some conversation I have to have, and I'm anxious and I, you know, because I don't want to have this conversation. If I go outside, and I start walking and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's like that weird lady I see with her dog every day getting right. coffee. And then I just start having thoughts about what I'm seeing in front of me rather than worrying about the thing that isn't even in front of me.
1: Well, you're others focused. Right. You're not self-centered in that moment.
2: And then, while well, since we keep talking about kids, I'm going to say one more thing because I mentioned it to somebody this morning, like walking to school, like another parent. And they're like, oh, my God, like I'm going to use that. My little one has a lot of anxiety about things. And... So there's this YouTube channel like Cosmic Kids Yoga this British woman and she also has like this like meditation thing called the Zen Den. So we looked up one of them. He likes this YouTuber. So she's it's a, like a mindfulness meditation and she has like a little cartoon to go with it. You can either watch the cartoon or close your eyes and just listen. And she says, you know, you are a pond and in that pond you're going to see all different kinds of s- fish swim by there's a happy fish and an angry fish and a sad fish and a sleepy fish and a nervous fish and these are all your feelings and your only job is to be the pond and you can look at the fish and franklin and you might you might feel like the fish but you're not the fish. You are not that angry fish. Wow. You're not that sad fish. You're the pond.
1: I think this is like, this is the least dopey you've ever <laughs> been, but this is some good stuff. you've been. But,
2: doing. but yeah, but I was like, but he really liked that. And because this, we were doing this because he didn't want to do his eye drops for the pink eye and was all nervous about it. Even though he'd done them several times, we have to do them a few times a day. And like, just like, Oh, it would take, he, he's like, you need to calm me down first. He will say, Help me calm down. Help me calm down when he's anxious.
1: Okay, which is good. Susan does something like she goes, "Help me." Yes. He, you know, help me. Yes. You know She throws a fit and then she says, "Help me." Which so is So what amazing. do you do? So what do you so do? So then
2: I help him. Ca- I. Well, See, I've, I think
1: she's just manipulating.
2: The, she's if, just if a, she's
1: just manipulating if, me to to not get angry
2: at her. If a kid, but I think that like again, it goes back to that thing. Like, I always think of this scene in that movie, the, A Christmas Story. Which you've seen. Yeah, everybody. I've seen. actually never seen Are it. you kidding me? But continue. Okay, there's a scene where there's a bully in it who beats up kids. Yeah. And Ralphie, the main character, yes. one day gets into like this thing. He's just like, he's kind of had it. He's at the end of his rope with like things going wrong for this gift he wants for Christmas.
1: The, the, the bb gun
2: and the the yes and the bully breaks his glasses yes. and this is a big problem in his house he gets in big trouble if he breaks his glasses and he just loses it and goes off on this kid pummeling him yeah I've seen the in clip. anger he fucks and like up he's the bully. like he's, he's yeah. like, cursing he's like mother, yeah. God damn it right. and and everyone is like doesn't know what to do his little brother goes and gets his mom but then when his mom shows up he just collapses and just hysterical like just sobbing because that's Hold on, the, I was
1: looking for the tool to help Susan. What, what do you say to Franklin? I'm, ta-
2: I'm telling, okay. oh, the tool. Okay, but I'm telling you is that like a lot of times when kids act out, then they it's not, they're, again, it's like it's communication. Then they kind of freak out and they don't even know why they're mad. So when she's saying, when I get so frustrated with Franklin, like calm me down, calm me down. But I'm like, no, this is a gift for our kid to say, help me. So what do you do? So I calm him down. How do so, you do it? So what I do is I start doing this like I'm what I'm doing you can't see this but I'm kind of like rubbing my arm like you know kind of like soothing the nervous system right. and I say I said okay I said Franklin can you name three fruits that you like right can you tell me two colors in the rainbow misdirection can you tell me the name of a country that starts with the letter c this is literally like what my therapist is like with Cambodia
1: me. give me another yeah. one he
2: always says Canada right <laughs> so we do that and it that's it's all just mindfulness it's bringing your brain back into present time because anxiety is so rooted in not being in present time
1: all right well this is a great tip yeah. was there anything else about michelle before we finish this thing
2: um no, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fast listen, and she had a lot of good stuff in there. I haven't seen the Wavy Gravy movie, and I'm going to see it. It's and incredible. I, I really, I was, a, I didn't know who Saint she was. Misbehavin,
1: I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, I didn't
2: know who she was when I started listening to this, and then I was like, oh, that Daryl Hammond doc that I loved, and, and she's known so many, like she just seems like she's known a lot of interesting people, lived a very sort of full life.
1: For sure, and uh, before we go, another really interesting person is Duncan, a.k.a. Slam Duncan, yes. a.k.a. Upper Decker, who yeah. is a die-hard Dopey fan. He is often at the Dopey Patreon Zoom. He's often in the Dopey Zoom. He is a character. He is an idiot, but he's also brilliant. I
2: don't think he's an idiot. He's a brilliant he's idiot. He's a nice guy. Listen,
1: I'm, yeah. I think I'm an idiot, yeah. too. All I'm right. not really putting him... To, you're like, you're an idiot, <laughs> but not, you're kidding. not Duncan. Uh, anyway, he sent in this voicemail. Let's okay. play Duncan's voicemail.
4: Yo, what up, Dave and Dopey Nation? It's your boy Slam Dunk calling in. Uh, calling to inform you all about a very awkward interaction that I had with a certain 80s pop star by the name of Boy George, uh, that I had uh, about a month or two ago. So, anyways, um,. I came across some backstage passes to see the Culture Club down at the uh, Foxwoods Casino in the wonderful land of Connecticut. I uh, figured that, you know, boy, boy George, he's he's one of us afflicted folks, so... I decided to pack my dopey t-shirt to spread the gospel about the greatest podcast ...concerning drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. So, I, I got to the venue. I'm standing in the front row, sporting my, my dopey t-shirt. And after the show, I headed backstage. Um, yeah, I, I talked to the, to the guys. They are pretty cool. Uh, I talked to the rest of the crew. And then, I met Boy George. So as soon as he came out, he told me, Hey, Dopey, i like your shirt. And immediately I went to go take the shirt off my chest. And I was like, hey, you you want it? And you can have it. He um, responded something to the effect of, Oh, no, I can never fit into a shirt your size. And yeah, it was, it was really weird. But, um yeah regardless of that extremely awkward interaction um, yeah i think I think I' planned the seed so w three team uh go go ahead and tweet the fuck out of boy George. He's active on Twitter, by the way, uh assuming that Twitter's still up and running by the time this voice memo is released to the public um yeah in conclusion i just gotta say fucking love the podcast you rock and i wouldn't be sober today if it wasn't for dopey dopey is the shit enough said
2: see
1: duncan's an idiot
2: (laughs) but you know what i well two things have you ever been to foxwoods no really Yes. Okay. It's really pretty. The setting is really pretty. It was a long time ago that I was there, but I liked this little interaction with.
1: I love it. Do you know how long I've been trying to get Boy George on the show? Really? Oh, my God. Boy George followed me on Twitter. I wrote him 10 million times, Uh right? Uh, I befriended DJ Fat Tony Uh in the hopes of getting to Boy George. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Then this year in January, he tweets. Sometimes I follow people on Twitter just to confuse them.
2: Oh, That's amazing.
1: Isn't that diabolical? I
2: kind of love it, though. It kind of makes me have more respect for him. Uh, He (laughs) he would be a great guy. I feel like there's somebody I know who has a connection to him. I got to think about it.
1: And DJ Don is out in uh, Los Angeles. You know who he ran into? Who? Steve Jones.
2: Oh, nice. Another
1: dream dopey guest. I would fly to California to interview Steve Jones. Just to do that. He might
2: be able to help you.
1: Well, okay, we'll do it. Make okay. it happen.
2: Um, and then just one last thing about Duncan. No. Oh well, about Duncan. No, I mean that was funny. You know, he. I like that he tried to give him the shirt off the back. But you're right now. Like he has dopey on the brain. He doesn't. And well,
1: he does not. Anyway, you know, it's I repetition. have another friend named Patrick Ferguson mm-hmm. who has a podcast called the Crash and Ride Podcast. Uh-huh. Who's a drum tech. He was on tour with with culture club and, and he couldn't get it to happen oh really yeah yeah shout out know. to patrick ferguson i have a shout out i know That's so why I said um
2: that. i had fr- we had friends in town over the holidays that were visiting from amsterdam and they stay at their aunt's house across the street so we saw them quite a bit and one night in like we had a little group chat going because we spent new years with them they came over on new years and i played yahtzee for the first time side note and it was really fun oh, yahtzee is awesome I never played it. It's a really Nobody game. ever asked me to play Yahtzee before. It's a
1: high quality game.
2: Why had nobody ever asked me? I don't know. Okay. All right. I,
1: I can't, tell, I can't, I can't <laughs> tell you that.
2: <laughs> Come on. Um, so he sends us a picture. He's like in somebody's apartment and on their refrigerator there's a huge dopey sticker. And it's this guy, Mike House. So I'm giving a shout out to Mike House. New
1: York City punk rock legend. Mike yes. House. Yes.
2: And, uh... For having a dopey sticker and uh, supporting the show.
1: Well, shout out to Mike House. Thank you, Aaron. You really laid it down this week, I think. Awesome. <laughs> if anybody in the doposphere has anything they would like to add, please write us an email or send in a voicemail to dopeypodcast at com. Follow us on Patreon. We have a Patreon coming up. We got the Ask Aaron. We didn't do an Ask Aaron Patreon. We, we did didn't. a Patreon. No, we, we forgot do that. It.
2: No, we didn't. We should. We'll do one in the future. See, look
1: yeah. for an Ask Aaron Patreon yeah. coming soon, and also we're gonna do something called a Hatreon coming soon, which is oh. just things we hate. So Ooh. start taking notes.
2: I can make a list. Exactly. All right.
1: Now, Fentanyl J mm-hmm. has been getting a lot of hate mail uh, and love mail. Yeah. And we're gonna check in with him now, okay, in real time, okay. So this is the end of you on the show, and we're okay. gonna see if, if 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 Jay has anything he wants to say. All right, all right. So thank you, Aaron. So I said I was gonna end this episode with with the great fentanyl, Jay. Here he <laughs> is. Now, Jay, tell the dopey nation where we're at.
5: We are. At uh, Suze's? Schuss? Suze's? Yes. We're at Suze's gymnastics class. Yes.
1: We're in She's the in the, <laughs> in the parking lot outside of Tower Gymnastics. How many drug deals did you do kind of like this? Do you ever meet young- Yeah, it feels sketchy right now. Do you ever meet fathers outside of the kids' I gymnastics? I feel a little
5: sketchy right now. Yeah, I definitely met, uh, met some family members, yeah. It's a little gas sketch, station. Yeah, right? a little sketchy. We're just hanging out the in the ga- parking the lot. The gym- <laughs> yeah.
1: gymnastics parking lot. That's like next level. We were just talking, Jay was about to regale us with a story about- about hitting crack in his neck but we're gonna we're gonna hold (laughs) off on that for a second because listen we're gonna start here do you want to start with the good stuff the bad stuff or the big or the big question
5: (laughs) uh start with good always start
1: no no we're gonna start with the bad start with bad yeah start with bad we're gonna do bad then we're gonna do good then we're gonna get to the big question okay here's the bad all right let's hear it somebody posted this on my instagram stories Disrespect. Disrespect. You ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fentanyl. What's his name? What's his name? I don't know. I don't know. But I. Might oh, if you read it, i will get upset. Right. Fentanyl, brace yourself. Oh, Are you okay? Oh, shit. Are you all right? I'm ready. You're focused? Hit me. You're centered? Hit me with it. Fentanyl J is the biggest piece of shit. I oh, want, oh I, shit. I coming off strong. Fired. I, <laughs> I wonder how many people he's literally killed body brokering <laughs> and selling fentanyl. Mm. And, and just Dopey Nation, just, you know, Jay, does, Jay is so fucking uh, mindful and next level. He doesn't even have social media. None. So I'm polluting his brain you with this are. horror show. <laughs> Here we go. The hate, uh, the hate speech. He's literally killed body brokering and selling fentanyl on Oof. top of saying he doesn't even have any guilt. What a horrible person. Yo. <laughs> Someone should slip some fentanyl into his drink. The world would truly be a better place. Really sad. I don't know how you could even have him on your podcast. Wow. To be honest.
5: Wow. Is there more? That's it. Okay. With all due respect, guy. Yes. Yes. With all due respect. Oh, boy. Go fuck yourself. Hey, listen, I'm sorry I, I believe you, I think the fuck You were wishing this on someone To slip fentanyl in my drink
1: That's not nice I, th-
5: I think Fucking What are you I That's think not a world, kind thing That's you, not a kind thing Do you want to hear all the Sitting all the in res- his fucking high chair over there And then high I, horse You know what I
1: wrote back to him What'd you write Thanks for the feedback <laughs> oh. All right, so I'm gonna, And then wow, the first wow, person wait, wrote. What was his name? All right. With the all first, due respect, Brad. We don't know his name is Brad. All right. Why are you all, assuming his name is Brad? With
5: all due respect, Brad. I don't know if his name is Brad. You can fucking. He never chimed back Go in. Fuck yourself. Are you ready for no, the I'm ca- sure he's a great guy. Well, Slipping fentanyl and drinks. And he shit.
1: said, to be honest, I don't know how you, meaning me, had you no, you're, on the show. You're getting slack for this. So I'm getting caught in the. You're getting I'm slack getting for the. This. I didn't mean I feel no guilt. Okay, talk about this. I didn't mean
5: oh, I. Well, here we go. So, so, like.
1: Good. I like this. Like. My like, dad. My dad also. He I hates be, it. I can't believe Jay doesn't feel any guilt. You know, <laughs> it's hard for people that
5: are fucking normal to understand. You I said.
1: What I, the way I defended you, because of course I'm, I'm always defending. Compartmentalizing, I yeah. like that. Yeah, well, it's like if you open up that box. You're scared of what you'll feel, and and guess
5: what? There's a lot of. Pe- Does the government feel guilt? For f- no, 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 no. Oh, We're going boy. down the road. Who, oh, who, who do teachers feel guilt <laughs> for? Fucking oh, neglecting shit. their <laughs> d- students.
1: Yeah, I think. Do, I think. I think good. And ones he st- goes off Jay, and he shoots Jay, someone and dies. Jay, I think good teachers who neglect their students feel guilt, which is why I think to open yourself up to feeling guilt would probably be good. And I, I personally will take it one step further that I think you do. I think that oh shit I think that I think that first of all it's not
5: that I don't feel I when I compartmentalize my situation right
1: yeah
5: uh-huh. right I uh you like that word I right? like it okay. I like it cuz it makes sense to me I it, like it it's yeah, real. yeah I'm not I'm not digging too far into it. I'm looking at the big picture here fucking Brad so if your name well, is Brad <laughs> I'm, l- I'm looking at the big the big picture here yes. you know so like <clears throat> I'm looking at it, at it like um, I was fucked up in the game I was doing some Bad things for money Okay I was selling a lot of pills At a time To someone And If I look Deeper into it Then he gave them to someone Who gave them to someone Who could have given them to someone Who could have died from it but I'm you, not you, going down that rabbit hole
1: But you also sold A bunch of fentanyl Hand to hand Before all that I did but like And blues of- And coke yeah not to mention the pcp laced weed <laughs> Shut <up>. the doses <laughs> Shut up. all that stuff well i don't know why you should feel the need to rationalize rationalize is my point like what's the difference you did fucked up. i mean like but i don't want to lie what's like what i feel bad about this every day you shouldn't i, mean,
5: I feel bad you feel bad little. you
1: got caught more than anything
5: i feel bad
1: that's the, wor- the worst the worst part a little but i feel bad
5: i mean listen when i look into it deeper but i'm not diving down that rabbit hole. And this guy fucking Brad should feel bad about wanting to slip fentanyl no, in no. a fucking good person's drink. It's all right. I'll probably be fucking high for the day, you, you, Brad. You, Thanks. Thanks. Hold it. Just,
1: just calm <laughs> down. Just calm down. Right, what fine. I like to think, this is my assessment. I know you pretty well. My assessment is you feel, you feel really bad you fucked your life up.
5: Yeah, I feel bad
1: about that. You don't feel good that anybody that consumed your fentanyl died
5: don't feel good about that how could you could <laughs> yeah
1: how <laughs> you, could you you don't feel good about uh uh pushing addiction down a hill do you feel good about it
5: i don't feel good about it no. you can't i mean nothing I feel to feel good, good i don't about. feel good about it
1: but like we're talking about a lump sum of life's decisions mm-hmm. right like i look back at my life i sold very little drugs but i sold some drugs mm-hmm. i don't think about it ever mm-hmm. i think about and i don't even think about like my time as an addict, really. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a long period of my life where I didn't make the best choices, yeah. and, my, and I paid the price for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the worst part is is that you're you're pretty certain that you're going to pay a horrible price for Hard it. Hard price. And unfortunately, that supersedes the guilt. Yeah. But I also think, like, you have a lot on your plate.
5: Yeah, don't worry, Brad. I have a lot of time to fucking think about it, you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 like, I think... Linda said, because I talked to her about it, and she said to open, I said, I think that you protect yourself. And she said, well, the tr-, she's a therapist. She says to open yourself up to it, you you'd protect yourself more. So mm. put that in the back of your head. Now, okay. do you want to hear the good stuff? Yeah, uh, I think I need it. Here's the, okay, here's the good stuff. Brad was came, <laughs> Brad was, He came hard. Was tough. He came hard. Came out
5: swinging. Really hard.
1: So the first person said... <laughs> what was the first
5: line? It was, first of all, Jay, go fuck yourself. Intentional Jay is the, the biggest piece of, piece of, shit. of shit. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, so, I'm sorry right. I did this. It's okay. crazy.
1: First <laughs> person said, what the fuck? People are horrible. Good. Next talk, person talk said... Brad. said Dopey, yeah, he's not talking about you. (laughs) That'd be funny (laughs) if he was talking about you. Next person said, Dopey is meant to be a safe space where everyone can talk about the shit they've done without judgment. What's the point? Everyone's done shit. Shout out to her. How do you know it's a girl? I feel it. I felt it. All right, here we go. I strongly disagree with this message. It's sad that people have so much hatred toward people. They don't even know. I find Jay to be super cute and funny. My favorite episodes are ones. He's on.
5: Wow. Shout out to
1: him. That's probably Uh, not to her. her. All right. Wow.
5: That's awesome. You know what? The love feels good. Next
1: one. Strongly disagree. Next one. Weird how people don't truly want uh, hope for redemption. Yeah. Wow. That's what Strong. I'm. That's where I'm coming. Strong from. hope for redemption. Yeah, I ride hard for Jay, and I'm not even horny for him. That's my fucking guy. That's girl. a woman. Yeah, that's my girl. Keep up the amazing work, Dave. Hell yeah, thank you. Uh, wow, she's not even horny for Feels you. Feels good, right? Even though she's not, it would be better if she was horny for you. She's probably fucking. I'm you horny. She, I'm horny for her now. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Very good. Then we love Jay. Oh man, there's some principles before personality shit. Or for non-12-steppers, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. We have all done some regrettable things. If we can't find compassion with other dope fiends, then where can we find it?
5: Right? That's real life.
1: All right. Yep, Jay is my fave with a lovey emoji. Lovey Uh, emoji. Sweat for wet (laughs) jet. What was it? Redemption... Is possible for anyone leave Jay alone, you dork. You
5: dork. That's, I love that word. Okay. Love that word.
1: Oh, this is, this is the th- one of my favorite ones. All right, let's hear it. When did your listeners become such pussies? We <laughs> love the debauchery. <laughs> right? It's true. Okay, here we go. Man's need to lay off Jay. We all fuck up, make decisions, it's and true. do horrible shit when we are out there and suffering. It's true. And you were addicted to the money,
5: too. It's true. I was addicted hopeless. to everything. Yeah, I was hopeless. Wow.
1: Uh Oh, here we go. More. Hate? This is not a good one. All right. <laughs> I like that. I've got friends who feel guilty. Oh, no, this is a good one. Oh, hell yeah. OK. I've got friends who there's one more bad one, though. I've got friends who feel guilty for exposing, exposing others to certain things. I always tell them that's not how drugs work. No one is responsible for anyone else's choices. Jay has li- has not, quote unquote, literally killed Anyone, if you ask me, deliberately putting fentanyl in something you're selling as something else is one thing, yep. but selling it as is Agreed. does not make him responsible for overdoses, in my opinion. Agreed, don't get too crazy. I'm sorry, I agree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nah, if Jay, he was
5: to slim some fentanyl in my drink and I died,
1: if you didn't know the fentanyl if I didn't was know there, if it was a if fentanyl, fentanyl drink, cocktail yeah. and you knew it, then you yeah, wouldn't then be, then I right. would drink it, okay knowingly Nat Jay is cool in my book we all done some fucked shit out here but true uh okay I
5: get why I kind of sound like a dick though that's why I was saying it on the last time I was like wait what do you mean remember last time I was like I was like I was like you want me to be real but I was like oh this sounds bad like this just sounds
1: bad you know
5: cuz it sounds bad when
1: Listen, number one, you get a mic in your hand. You haven't been on the show in a while. Yeah. You're all pumped up. I'm letting it rip. You're letting it rip. But at the same time, I think there's a little bit of posturing when you have the mic in your hand and you're like, and people are like, you should feel guilty. And your first reaction is, fuck you. Right? But I think in reality, you feel a lot of things. It's not just one thing. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, let's see. There's one more. Yeah. da. Here we go. I missed something on the story, but I'm going to chime in now. I love Fetty J. Dude's a character, and I'm always stoked to hear him on your show. I know I've done some things I'm not proud of, and he's young, just living his life. Shout out to J for speaking his truth. It's not like he's selling fake pills with Fetty on the streets. He's selling a drug that people can choose to buy or do if they want. Of course, I hope they would choose not to, but I nor J can control that. I hope he gets sober and does... Doesn't get too much time. We all need a little Jay in our lives. Oh, right. Oh, and now here's the bad one. Oh, sick. okay. I so kind we went of, from bad to good, back to bad. Yeah, I think we're gonna right. close with close bad, with bad. Unfortunately, right, here we go. Um, <laughs> I kind of agree, to be honest. If oh. Jay was humble. This is where it get shots fired, you're right? Oh and I think this person has a point, just okay. so you know. Right. Okay. <laughs> fuck you too, <laughs> Dave. Thank you. I kind of agree, to be honest. <laughs> if Jay was humble and showed some type of regret, I think I wrote this one, actually, um, and showed some type of regret or, or whatever for the stuff he's done, I'd feel differently. Mm. But the kid doesn't sound like he takes his recovery seriously. Mm. He just cracks jokes about everything mm. and shows off. Mm. Oh, mm. right? <laughs> Uh, I guess he's either very young or very immature and it doesn't both. sound like he's, re- or both. And it doesn't sound like he's reached the point where he wants to change his life and try to be a decent person. I would change decent for better.
5: Yeah. Fuck that guy.
1: I changed this my life a, already. Sha, sha, sha. Relax. Right.
5: right. I'm sorry. He's a good guy. <laughs> I think it's a woman. So but he, there's hope for guy. him
1: yet. Okay. Okay. Keep up the good work, Dave. Love from London. Oh, Okay. I get it. So this is the thing, Jay. I could
5: have showed fake love. I could have showed fake remorse. So all these people would. We don't want fake
1: remorse. We don't want fake. This is the best podcast that's around. Yeah, we can't we have gotta, fake remorse. We got to keep it real. We got to keep it at 100, as 100. they say. Keep it at 100. Now, listen. <laughs> keep it 100. You've absorbed a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and what is your, what is your, give me everything that's happening. Before you do, mm-hmm. check this out. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, there was a teacher in New Jersey an art teacher, while he's teaching, he overdoses on fentanyl in okay. front of the middle school class. Oh, shit. The fucking ambulance has to come and Narcan him in front of the class. They find fentanyl in his drawer oh, and shit. like uh, paraphernalia. So it's oh, either shit. needles or other uh, yeah, people smoke fentanyl. Finfo- tin foil, yeah. yeah. Right. So that's. What do you think about oh, that? Shit. Probably one of your customers. It's fucking traumatizing,
5: huh? Oh, man, that's for, what I'm the, for the schoolers, it's not good. Oh, he would be an art teacher though, if he was any kind of teacher. Exactly. <laughs> you know,
1: he's like listening to fucking <laughs> yeah. Lou Reed and and ODing, and that's that's the dopey story that I yeah, want. I want to get, get, get him on the, him, show, get him get on on the show. him change, help him change his life. You know? Now, Jay, you've had a lot of information. There's a lot of things happening. Jay, also, it's dry. It's I didn't realize you were riding the dry January coattails. Riding it. I thought you were just looking to get back into this thing. Well, it's dry January. It could
5: be a dry life, you know, who knows.
1: Wow. So, Jay, what do you get from all this stuff? So, first of all, it's a lot of love. It's a lot of love. Uh,
5: and you know what? I love to hate too. So, I love I love it all. It's,
1: You're someone yeah. that, that people love to hate. Yeah, it's cool with me. Like a wrestler.
5: Yeah. So, so what do you think Stone about what Steve they said? Um I think uh first of all, even fucking Brad if that's his name. Dickhead. Yes. Has a good point, I guess. Has a point. Which is his good point. Has a point. What's his point? That I should feel bad or than I do. Or I feel bad, but he, but but I didn't and and this last lady, she was fucking she was, she she was right. She was she she hit it. She got it, you know. She's like she it's like it's it's hard it's hard for me. Well, first of all, like I said before, I'm not going to come on here And fucking, I don't, I don't have any, I have no way for anyone to get to me from here, you know, to talk to me, to get to me from here, so I can really just let it rip, you know? Like, I have no reason to, like, fake guilt it, or like, you know, show, or, because, you know, that shit could, I could be political.
1: But you also respect, you respect me and the show, and you know what the show is supposed to be. Yeah,
5: and, yeah, exactly. And, and it's like, regardless of, like, the feelings of what happened then, and, but I, I've came a very, very long way, even for me to even acknowledge that I might feel bad. I think I've came a very, 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 very long way in the last year.
1: Describe that to me. Like, where were you versus now?
5: Like, like a year ago, like the, that's just a tip of the iceberg. Like there is some shit, like malicious, like bad things, like selling drugs is bad, right? But like. But like, ha, you know, violent things are worse in my like direct acts of violence to me, like personally is worse. I feel like, you know, like there are some things that I, you you do feel bad for, you know, so like, maybe you, I so just you, haven't got there yet. So, you, you know, you,
1: you're currently reflecting on your last violent shit. Yeah. More than more than all this stuff.
5: Yeah, exactly. Like I've I, you know, I, and maybe I'll get there, you know, it's possible. But it's like it's like it's like right now. Uh, The way I see it is even if, you know, the guilt hasn't set in me, I'm not sitting in prison yet for this, so um, even if it hasn't set in, it has set in, I've came a very long way, like a year, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't give a single fuck, I wouldn't reflect on a day in my life, I would just live a day in my life, the difference, getting caught had a lot to do with it, honestly, and then, you know, the max is like, you know, 12, whatever. Looking at, thinking about, you know, a decade or more is like something not to be fucked with. You know, it's like, it's like now you have to really consider everything. You know, when you're looking at something like that, you really look back and, you know, you always say, is it worth it? It's not, it's never worth it. But like, oh, was it worth You know, because that, that, that spark is what makes you reflect in the first
1: place. Is what made me reflect a little bit. I also know? think that knowing you... It's like people have accused me of being immature and I am I am immature as well. And it's like you've done so much, you know, you, you lived a life, like mm-hmm. a gory fucking life yeah. of crime. Yeah. And like the first thought you had was that you wasted so much time. Like mm-hmm. that last year yeah. uh was like that's what you tell me all the yeah, time yeah. that you were so
5: I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I right. yeah, wasted time. Yeah. yeah. Right
1: and, and and I think like it's it's like anybody who gets clean it's not something that happens right away. Mm-hmm. You don't go from fucking using, mm-hmm. selling degenerate fucking drug addict into somebody who's to priest. To you know? yeah, to yeah. being spiritually upright or productive yeah. or anything. You know, so I think it's like people talk about progress not Work perfection. In progress. Yeah. But but like I think that guy came too hard, frankly. He came pretty hard. But uh, in other news, first of all, yeah,
5: he's a piece of the biggest piece of fucking shit, huh?
1: But I think to 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 your credit, he was the only one. Oh, there was one other person that said. But they it. were the last lady. At least was kind of cool about it. She was super cool about it, yeah. and I, and you and that can penetrate you in a way that yeah. you're like, I get that. Yeah,
5: like I get her. More, yeah, but yeah. she has hope. For I you. get his thought process. That's what I'm gonna. I understand people pretty well, you know. Sure. Like I can understand why he. Would say that even probably because he's a fucking ignorant dickhead. But (laughs) but
1: uh, listen, I think that you're you have every right to get pissed in him. I think that you are a polarizing figure, as I've always said. But uh, I think there's a lot of hope. And I think that you are capable of really amazing things. But you oh, know sir. that I think that.
5: Yeah, I know. Um, You're doing amazing things. Well, I, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I'm, right now, I'm sitting outside of a, gymna- <laughs> a gymnastic studio talking Shout to you. Shout out to Susan. Shout out to Susan and, yeah. and the cr- crew at Towers. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, before we go, mm. the other day, Jay and I were talking. Mm. Jay was like, a couple weeks ago, he's like, I'm doing it. January, yep. it's happening. Yep. And then the other day, he's like, Dave, I'm going to have a glass of red wine tonight for the health benefits. Health benefit. <laughs> so what's happening uh, we're it's like a happening. week into January, yep. and you're like done.
5: Yep, I fucking I went out to dinner
1: last night with the gang. Shout out
5: to uh, Jules, the surf goddess and vegan. I know they're listening. They listened to the last one. Did they? They listened. She's an avid listener. Really? She is. It's she, happening. She came up, yeah, it's nice. happening, bro. Because vegan came into work. He's like, yeah, fucking thanks. Jules said good looks for the shout out. Nice. And I was like, oh, surf goddess. Yeah. So right. she's an avid listener. That's but nice. uh, I went out to dinner with a bunch of them. Not Jules. She's sober. But her boyfriend, vegan. And a bunch of friends and, you know, everyone's drinking. And I was, you know, I was thinking about it. Definitely a glass of red wine for the health benefits. Obviously, you know, the heart and the blood or whatever. What I don't people, even know the health benefits, what people say, That's what it is. But <laughs> what
1: people say is that alcoholics and drug addicts, when they start doing one thing, yeah, that there's no way that that's all it would be. It's downhill. I mean, dude, you try to do it at, at the end of the, the summer. Just have
5: a drink. Yeah. One. Yeah. But I, you know what? There's a plus is that I haven't done drugs in a long. Well,
1: that's not true.
5: Hard drugs. That's not true. (laughs) Hard. You haven't
1: shot. I haven't done drugs in in a hard way, dude. You just fucking did coke last week, ten days ago. Fucking yeah. And and tell tell the dopey nation about that.
5: It's possible. Oh, it sucked. I didn't like it anymore. Break it down. So yeah, I definitely. It was New. It was New Year's Eve, probably. Yeah, it was New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. I did some fucking cocaine, and I used to be able to do so much cocaine. Did you shoot it in your neck? Nah, not this time. Did you smoke it in a bubbler? Nah, I fucking, I just snorted it like a loser. Mm. (laughs) No, okay, I just snorted it, bro. And, you know, as we were talking about, I've done some fucking, I've done the hardest drugs in the hardest ways, you know? And uh, I just snorted it. I didn't feel like I didn't do that much, but I was pretty drunk, you know? So, like, by the time everything was said and done, I was just laying in bed, I'm sure, fucking all the dopey nation who's ever been on the uppers knows the feeling of just laying in bed and staring at the ceiling, fucking heart thumping and the, the sun coming up and I had work the next day. And it was just like fucking horrible, horrible. I just turned me off all the way because like we were talking about, like I feel like my body's like like now not Well, it is. It's not used to it anymore. So when it's like too much, it's like too much, you know, and you didn't want it, I didn't want it. I wish it would go away. See,
1: my my thought. My, my big thing is Fucking See it through mm-hmm. Like It's all gonna come down In April Yeah You know you don't plan on going on Some fucking crazy fentanyl bender mm. You don't plan on going to rage on Fucking MDMA No you, That's not the plan Yeah So if the plan is not that Yeah I would go hard at this Which is not just Abstaining mm. Because abstaining sucks Yeah What matters And I'm not talking about being an avid 12 step person yeah. i'm saying you need to do something you like mm-hmm. you need to get invested in something mm-hmm. and participate so you're not just taking something away but you're putting something in that's what i'm saying yeah and i believe that you should track now until then log in, in any way vlog. right video audio I, I think if you don't do it i'll have you on every other episode as we count down to the vlog there. Well, I think I'll just take advantage because you're not doing it. So I think I'll do it. You will be on dopey until then.
5: Until I'm fucking and signing off and signing out, you know. And then
1: we'll do the the prison calls. Yeah, which will be priceless.
5: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: But um, you down to at least come on here until the end? Yeah,
5: yeah. We'll yeah, we'll do our check-ins for sure. And Uh-oh.
1: well, we'll take it. We'll take it a day at a time, as they say. <laughs>
5: One day at a time, as they say. And
1: um, thank you, Jay. And, and and we got to thank Aaron Carr Who was on this episode Shout out to Aaron Carr Michelle Esrick Who was on this episode Oh Michelle Yes Shout out to Michelle And uh, Slam Dunk Idiot But I love him Slam Dunk Upper Ducker Danker, nah. Whatever his name <laughs> is Um, Yes So um, Thank you Jay Thank you Is there anything you want to say Dopey Before Dave's. we end Do you feel bad Dopey Dave See in the last episode Of the show uh, I interviewed this graffiti artist Who used to keep he used to keep a safe of drugs in my apartment, mm. like and and he would give me drugs or nice. give me money or yeah. whatever, you know, and uh, he would call me Slam. Slam. That's a good nickname. That's a good Dopey one. Dopey Dave is not well, a good name. Well, you are Dopey Dave it's now. It's horrible. It is what it is. Is there a word? Can you imagine I, a worse nickname than I, Dopey Dave? <laughs> Dopey
5: Dave. It's just. Can <laughs> you
1: imagine a worse nickname than that?
5: Slam's cool.
1: You want to know why they call me Slam? Yeah. I thought it was because I shot. Dope. Yeah. But it was because I always slammed the door <laughs> <laughs> when I went into the apartment. <laughs> Which is even better. Slam. See what see, I think Fentanyl J is a better nickname than Dopey Day. Fetty J. Yeah. Well I like Fentanyl because it's so nerdy. Yeah, yeah. But Fetty J it could be your, your, your rap Street name. <laughs> yeah. Can you rap? <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So like maybe and you'll I drop a record. Soon, yeah. Fetty J. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jay, and stay strong, Dopey Nation and fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles
0: What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm gonna do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. uh, Sorry about the banjos. Thing's hard to keep in tune. Wanna take a walk around the world. Wonder would it do me any good? Till I get some honey in my pockets and I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood and I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had I wanna take a ride right up in the sky Watch airplanes just passing by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive I wanna be good, so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had In a burned out basement listening to the dopey show Home friends I had her on this little radio I keep checking on my pulse because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desires all I ever had Well, I hope y'all hear this. Makes it through the uh Big inbox emails, feel free to play a clip on the show if you want. If not, I know it kind of sucks. Alright, I really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.